Okay, well, welcome to the Necessary Bullshit Podcast. Yeah. We're getting things started right along. <laughs> I am um, I am Miserable Ian, and Josh, uh, you are the apocalyptic Josh. Uh, do you want to tell me, before we get started, what the hell is going on oh, yeah. over so, where you live? Yeah, so for, <laughs> for our listeners, as we like to mention quite often on the podcast, we're from Oregon, and I, I, I you know, live in the... Um, I guess you can say the Eugene Springfield area, and there is a, uh, a massive fire that's on the 126. Long story short, uh, I have a second level evacuation notice, which just means to have a bag packed and ready. And at any moment, it could turn to third level, which means I'll have to evacuate. So I decided, uh, you know, you have to risk it to get the biscuit, as I like to say. So <laughs> Ian and I are going to attempt to do this podcast episode, and if I get a random message and I have to leave, um, then we're going to have to call this short. So... Um, yeah. So yeah. if you, although I might plead with you to stay. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's I'm funny. Joking, yeah. Yeah. I got to finish the episode, <laughs> but you know, the funny thing is, is that like, if you're hearing this, then obviously all went well. Um, and if not, mm-hmm. then you're a Patreon subscriber, because if this does end up going South, um, we're going to probably put that clip up all on Patreon <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Because we want to make sure it gets out somehow. And obviously we want to make sure that, uh, whatever happens to Josh, that he may he remains safe because I don't know who the hell else I'm going to do a podcast with. Right? Yeah, but um, you're right. The skies are are eerie and orange and covered in smoke, and there's like soot and and ash falling from the from the sky. It's it's definitely very apop, but very nihilistic. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I saw a picture of it uh, of somewhere um, over in your area earlier today, where it was just like somebody delivering UPS, and it was just fucking red outside. But Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. like this is this is some sci-fi into the world movie that we're living in. Yeah, it's like and a, it's a like pandemic a, yeah, going on. It's like a video game map, which is a good segue. Ian, why are we here? <laughs> right. Yeah. Speaking of video game maps and and pandemics. Um, so Josh had the good graces, good graces of indulging me in a couple of episode ideas. Um, as I've talked about before, uh, previously on the podcast, we have been teasing a, uh, an episode on the games of the last of us by naughty dog, the PlayStation exclusive video games. So obviously those games, uh, if anybody is familiar with them, they have had quite an impact on the gaming culture, especially within the PlayStation uh, community. But because those games are so uh, in-depth, was what we decided to do is that we are going to have a part one and a part two, which is apropos to the fact that the games are in part ones and part two. So in this episode, we're going to be covering The Last of Us part one. Largely, I think, you know, Josh and I, we talked a little bit off mic how we want to cover mainly the narrative because I think that's what has the emotional impact um, 
in fact, I think that's what, at least I hope what drew Josh into any interest in doing uh, these next couple episodes, because as you know, we've, we've talked about before on the podcast, Josh isn't really a survival horror fan, you know, when it comes to games, you know, as far as his games, uh, preferences go. I think he, I don't know what exactly you like. I know you like some first first person shooters. I know you like some story driven games. Um, but yeah, so you know, I I guess long story short, you know, we wanted to really cover the narrative structure with some gameplay. I mean, and, whatever tickles you know, my fancy. Our old... <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yes. Yeah. Anything to tickle tickle his little special place. There we um, go. You know, as long as the, as long as the episode goes smoothly, then then we're all in a good place. So, with that being said, I think we should start things off. And Josh, I want to turn it over to you since you are sort of new to this uh, series, and I was the one who proded, probed you into and prodded you into into going into these episodes. Why don't you give us a, a brief uh, summary of the game and your initial thoughts on it, and then we'll we'll get on moving with it. Sure. So, uh, you know, as Ian kind of said, I so I, I will say I will admit, and I will be honest in that I do not normally play like horror survival games. It's there's certain elements I've played horror games before. I just never really, uh, never really got the understanding or the, the joy of being scared. But I will say that I am as a, as a theater person and everything else, I do love a good story. And I basically, you know, when Ian kind of said, Hey, you got to look at this game. I've, I've heard of it because it's the, of the popularity that it's received. Um, and I thought that, you know what, if it's this popular and it's probably got a great story, sure. So I decided to watch a playthrough. Um, now, granted, I was able to kind of get some sort of idea of, of gameplay as I've, I've played with the PlayStation before. So like I know Ian said, we're going to mainly focus on the story, but there is some gameplay stuff that I want to comment on because um, I found myself like ghost playing the game. But essentially, it's this you're set in this kind of post-apocalyptic world where you have, you know, this, of course, most people think of them like zombies, but it's more of like a fungus that has infected people's brains. Ian, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, and, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, And, you know, they basically kind of put you in this world where you're this man named Joel, who's a smuggler, um, and you kind of get put into this interesting situation where you're paired up with this, you know, this, I think she's like 13, right? 13 or 14? Uh, four, 14. 14, yeah. yeah like then, yeah. 14 year old girl named Ellie. And, you know, before we kind of go down the story, essentially the overall arc is that, you know, you learn about his past and you learn about Ellie's past and you, you they build this bond, almost this like this father and daughter bond that takes the entire game to cultivate, you know, and, and build up and to this epic climax of, of, you know, this act of love that Joel does, um, you know, to end the first game. And it's, you know, it's just it's kind of a wild ride and, and you basically just get to build with these two people you know, for the whole game. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I will say, you know, as far as the, the narrative is concerned, um, you know, the, the emotional beats in this game, obviously this, you know, for, okay. For those who aren't familiar with it, um, this game, you know, was largely inspired by books like the road from Cormac McCarthy and other very, you know, I think they were, you know, I think they also took inspiration from the cone, you know, from certain films from the Cone brothers, like No Country for Old Men. And this this game, it's it's a very it's a dark take on 
you know, post-apocalyptic world and, and coming together, you know, especially trying to, especially trying to form relationships in a world where it almost encourages you not to have those kind of relationships because it is, you know, be all end all dog eat dog, you know, like you just have to survive. I mean, you know, there's, there's a reason why this game plays like a survival horror game or more of a survival action game, I guess it would call it. There are some horror elements, but it, there's definitely more action. And, but the, the emotional beats within the gameplay, however dark some of the um, little pieces are, it's really, I feel like it really comes together when there are these small moments between the characters of Joel and Ellie that we'll be going through um, throughout the episode. And I got to say, I'm going to admit right here, and I've, I've probably talked about this uh, multiple times on the podcast previously. This is one of the first games. And I'm talking like, I, I you know, I've watched a lot of movies. I've, I've read several books with, you know, some emotional, uh, hard-hitting bits within them. This is the first game that I... I mean, I straight up cried at least three or four times throughout the throughout the story, and I want to get into it. So as the game opens, you are introduced to Joel and his daughter, Sarah. In fact, you sort of in the beginning, you sort of play as his daughter, Sarah, a little bit, and it takes place within the year 2013, which is God, that feels like forever ago now. <laughs> and, um, you know, basically, Joel comes home. He's he's you know, it's late at night. He's having an argument with somebody on the phone. I think he's a, I think he's a contractor or a carpenter or something like that. You know, it's not exactly made clear. And his daughter has been waiting up for him and turns out it's his birthday and she bought him somehow um, this nice watch. And he's like, well, shoot, this is like really awesome, you know, for my daughter to be getting that. And it's sort of, I don't know exactly what happened to her mom and his wife, I don't know if they're estranged or she's dead. It doesn't really go into it. The fact of the matter is it's just a father and daughter. And that's the main theme. One of the main themes I feel like is present throughout the entire story is this relationship between a father and daughter. Sure. And the the one thing that I want to kind of throw in here, I guess I'll let you finish, but mm -hmm. there is something about that exchange that I want to talk about when it comes to the storytelling element. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, Well, yeah. Okay. Well then I'll, I'll finish up this little beat and then I want to go to that, but, um, basically what happens, she, she gives him the watch and they're staying up watching TV. Eventually she falls asleep in his arms and he takes her up to bed. Um, and then she wakes up with him missing. So before I move on, Josh, why don't you go ahead and, and give me some of your insight here? Because I'm curious what you have to say. Yeah, sure. So, so again, in, in, in storytelling and, you know, we learn from theater and, and looking at plays and how you should utilize like what a playwright does or what an actor does when it's trying to focus on, on some sort of gravity for the character to make it seem believable or real or set it up. And I thought that like, when you introduce the daughter, you kind of, it's the calm before the storm. The first thing it does that's showing us like right off the bat, Anybody that has probably seen the trailers or, you know, like when this game first came out, you knew that it was going to be like a survivalistic game. And so, like, you know what's coming. Mm -hmm. So there's almost this angst when it starts because, like, oh, they're starting off, you know, pre before anything gets crazy. So we know it's coming and giving and having Sarah, the daughter, give Joel the watch. So first of all, that that's that's a beautiful symbolic moment. And the watch symbolizes the life that he once had that he's about to lose. 
And, you know, if he's wearing the watch, even us as players, when we see that watch, we, we, we think about Sarah, we think about the life that he had, you know, and I think it's interesting that Joel tries to escape his past, you know, we'll cover a lot of that later too. But I think what this does is just as establishes that watch as the symbolic, you know, way for him to kind of look back or for us to look back, you know, before things get crazy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, you're you're not wrong about that. And you know, what's interesting is that later on with the watch, it's this constant uh reminder of his past that he uh, you know, I think for a while he chooses to ignore. Um but it does it definitely does uh come in. Absolutely. Uh, and absolutely. And we'll get so we'll get to that down the road when when it comes to the photograph, the polaroid, you know, and right. and y- that yes, kind yeah, of Yes, yeah, But continue on. Yeah, so I mean, after after Sarah is taken up to bed, as I mentioned a minute ago, she wakes up to find you know in the middle of the night to find her uh, to find Joel gone, her dad. Um, so she, you know, as a play, and this is actually you take control of Sarah. And what was really interesting about this moment is that before the game came out, I mean, I played it the day of that it came out, and leading up to that experience, he had no idea that this was going to be in the game. It's like, whoa, this is sort of an interesting way and pace to like start the game. It was very, I don't want to say necessarily refreshing or surprising, but it was like, Oh, okay. Well, Oh, interesting. You know, like who, you know, it's, it's sort of, it breaks your, it it doesn't break the immersion, but it sort of breaks your expectation for a moment. You're like, what the hell is happening? Like, I thought I was playing as this like grizzled survival or survivor in a, you know, in a post apocalypse basically. And so you put, you know, so you play Sarah searching the house looking for Joel and you, you know, you move into his bedroom, you realize the TV is like talking about there's something crazy going on on the news that the, his, uh, the Joel had left on. And then there's this big explosion, like far away in the distance at night. And you're like, whoa. And Sarah, like, it's sort of like shit gets real. It's so a Sarah beautiful crescendo. The... It's, 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 uh, mm-hmm. I, I took yeah. it as, you know, a little crumbs of like, uh oh, you hear the TV, you hear the craziness, you see the slight thing, and then leading up to what you're about to say with a neighbor, but everything is, oh yeah, it's everything is like this, this build, and again, we're angsty because, like you said, it's breaking the expectation. We didn't realize we're going to start, you know, the game like before everything happened with this person. You think you're going to be this grizzled man who's trying to survive an apocalypse, and so like we know that it's coming. So like, there's this angst. And now it's building and it's start, you know, it starts with, oh, where's dad? And then boom, like the TV and then the it's like you're just like, oh, it's coming, you know, and that was very exciting, yeah, for sure. you know, good way to start. Like you're starting and like your your emotions or your senses are already high. Yeah, no, it's it's it definitely it's a great opening and it keeps you on your toes as you're sort of moving through. And after this explosion that Sarah witnesses, you know, you take control of her obviously, and, and you move down through the, the lower levels of the house with lower levels, the, the downstairs of the house. And you realize that like, uh, your dad's Joel's <laughs> your dad, Joel's phone is left on the ki- kitchen counter. And like, he keeps getting these voicemails from his brother. It's like, where the hell are you? Like, I'm trying to figure out, you know, like I'm going to come over, you know? And so, as Sarah proceeds into the living room, Joel sort of suddenly breaks through uh, the not breaks through, but he comes through the sliding glass door and he sees Sarah in a panic. And he's like, and she's like, what the hell is going on, dad? And it's like, okay, the neighbors are, you know, there's something going on. Something fucking weird is happening. Like we have to get out of here. And in that same moment, their neighbor, one of their neighbor breaks in through the door and is absolutely crazed. Yep, Jimmy. And Joel is for, yeah, yeah, Jimmy. His name's Jimmy. 
<laughs> oh no, Jimmy. And, um, and so Joel is, is forced to shoot him, you know, in order for them to survive. And Sarah, of course, is absolutely shooken by this. Well, look at that moment though. And, and look at that moment. Let's take it. Let's take a second and stop here because for me, sure. just, you know, you, you want to, we're going to talk about this later, but I know a big theme of you with this game is violence. You know, and the purpose of it and the placement of it and why it's yeah. being used. And so, you know, at yeah. first when you said that before I had seen anything of the game, I'm like, I'm not sure what you meant by that. And then like what you're you've played the game for 10 minutes and already, you know, you <laughs> Probably have less than that. Yeah. Like, yes, less than that. already you have like Joel just shooting person in front of his daughter. Like it was just like, oh, yeah. my Lanta. And like that, that's already such a huge ordeal to take place just in that moment. Like it just went from, oh, breadcrumbs to crazy to boom, we're, we're, we're about to be in an apocalypse. Yeah. Especially for a 14 year old girl to witness. I mean, I get it. You know, 14 year olds aren't exactly like, they're not the most my naive, you know, people in the world, but they're still children. Sure. And seeing that seeing your father who you think, you know, like kill a kill a seemingly innocent person, despite them being a little bit crazy and breaking into your house is like, whoa, what the fuck is happening? And for you know, but fortunately, within this little scene, uh, Joel's brother Tommy, who had been trying to reach him on the phone, shows up in a car and is like, "We're gonna get the fuck out of Dodge, mm-hmm. um, or you know, or Texas, or wherever you know, wherever they're staying." And so they get in the truck and they they, I mean, they're taking off. They're trying to get out of there. And you know, it's crazy. Along the way, you see other families trying to escape, trying to ask for help. And Joel's like, "No, we're like, we're I don't want my daughter anything to happen to her. We're gonna get the fuck out of there." But unfortunately. They drive into town because the all the other highways are blocked off, and that's when shit gets a little bit more real. Right now, before you get to that, before you get to that, you know, before you get the the jump scare car accident, I I already found like from a storytelling perspective, there's that moment where it was like they they can't they have a hard time getting through, and then there's like this pregnant lady and like the the you know Mm. another little boy, and then like he's like please please like help us help us, and then they just drive off. You know, and then I think yeah. it's like Sarah right in the back is like, we should have helped them. And I think, you know, Joel and Tommy were like, no, like, you know, we have to survive. And so, well, what- I think it was t- Tommy initially wanted to stop. Right. Right. I think like, so. Tommy yes. Hughes is like, we should help them. Um, and Joel's like, no, fucking keep right. Moving. Right. And so and- with that, it's already I guess I'm just trying to say that they're already establishing, you know, this this fear, you know, this this anything post-apocalyptic you talk about morality and what's right and what's wrong to do and when you know when morality and survival you know they sometimes butt heads you know in the most extreme circumstances definitely so here we're at survival in its most extreme circumstances and we're already seeing like in this brief moment the slight degradation of morality from what a civilized society would deem as moral as opposed to a survivalistic one so you know yeah really I was going to say it really shows you like just how fragile our society is like and how quickly it could break down. That's what I was going to say. It's, some, it's how fast, like that. how fast that survival element kicks in. And, you know, it's and, and that's what things too. And like in these contexts, I always struggle with, you know, I feel like I have a my own individual sense of morality, you know, but at the same time, it's like when you're in that harsh of a survival circumstances, it's like, who knows, you know, because one wrong move, you could be dead. And is that yeah. worth you know, is that worth, I don't know. I've always struggled with that. So that's why I hope that my house doesn't burn down. So I don't have to do it in real time. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to kill somebody for gas or food or something uh, absolutely. like that in, in the next few hours. But no. So then, <laughs> right. yeah, you're right. And so the next thing is, is there's the jump scare of the car crash. 
Yes, yeah. As they move into town, they get struck by they were t boned, I think, essentially by another by another oncoming car. And you awake a few minutes later, and you actually start off. This is now where you take over as Joel. Uh, you try to break out through the window. Tommy is there helping, and Sarah, I, I believe her leg is broken or something like that. You know, within the car in the car crash, and so he gets her out of there and Tommy basically with a gun, he escorts them away. And so they are just running through the streets. Chaos is ensuing. There's like a gas station that blows up. There are crazed people running through the streets, attacking other people. And you still, I mean, you know, as we said before, we, we know this is like a, a fungal infection from the onset, but these people in the game, like they don't know what's going on. Right. And so, and then they're trying to move through the city and escape. And I think finally they get to like a, um, an alleyway and onto a restaurant. And Joel is, you know, he has Sarah, his daughter in, a, in his uh, arms and they're trying to move into a restaurant, but there's still these crazed people chasing after them. So Tommy, I believe holds them off so that they can escape. And they move, they move like outside of this restaurant, like out into the, like some open field or a little hills area to try and escape while these infected, you know, crazed people are on their tail. And right before you think they're going to get caught, they are, you know, they're like this cutscene starts and they, the infected or, or these crazed people are stopped by a soldier who is in the area and, uh, you know, J- J- you know, Joel has this moment of release or of relief of like, OK, thank God, like maybe we can get safe by, you know, by these soldiers. Unfortunately, the soldier, as we come to come to realize, has been given orders to kill everyone in sight in fear that the infection or whatever they think it is might spread. Right. And Joel obviously pleads, you know, to like, hey, please, like, just let us go. The soldier has some type of hesitation, but ultimately he decides to shoot at them. Joel, you know, sort of pulls away to try and help, you know, save himself and save Sarah, get it out of the line of fire. Um, And they sort of tumble to the ground. The shoulder, the soldier comes up to them. And in the moment before he takes the final shot, Tommy sort of say, you know, he comes up, he saves the day, so to speak, obviously not you know, as effective as he, as he could have, what we'll find out in a second kills a soldier. But as Joel is recovering, he realizes that Sarah has been shot from these soldiers gunfire. And, you know, he, he takes her in his arms and I mean, she just dies. Mm-hmm. Like this is probably, you know, you were saying earlier, like how quickly the action and the survival aspects of this happen. Yeah. I mean, this probably happens within 15 minutes of the game just a child dies in front of you mm-hmm. and it just cuts to like 20 years later. <laughs> and, you know, this is, this is one of those moments where I was talking about before where I, you know, just as purely an emotional narrative here, this is even before I was a parent, this is when 2013, when I was, when this game came out, I was, I was 23, you know, I didn't even think about being a parent. I mean, and this brought me to tears just watching a child die. Right. And it really sets the tone. I feel like for the entire game, you realize that, you know, maybe there's sprinkles of hope throughout the game and, you know, as you play, but it is definitely one of those things where you're like, Jesus, this is dire. So I, I wanted to get you, I wanted to get your reaction to this because I don't know if I, when I was sort of, uh, um, 
selling you the game to, you know, to, to do a podcast on, I don't know. I mean, did I even mention this aspect? Like, were, I mean, what were your initial reactions and feelings to this, to this moment? I mean, I think you can probably say that it's very similar to, to people that played it. I mean, one of the things that I also did was, you know, go and watch different streamers and their reactions. Cause I was also curious mm. to see what other people reacted to. And it's a, it's this very like, and again, it's just like, it's this angst where, you know, you knew something was going to happen, you know, you didn't know what. So like the moment I remember when, you know, they get saved and I was like, oh, there's a soldier sweet. And then like, you know, he, he's on his walkie, you know, he's like some, so-and-so is like, oh, kill them all. And I'm just like, wait a minute. Yeah. And I was like, what did that guy on the radio just say? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, and then when yeah. he pulls up the gun, he like stops. It's like, ooh, that was close. Thank God for Tommy. You know, and then so that they do that where they like, you know, you know, something's going on, but they give you just enough. Sort to... of a bait and switch. almost. Yes. Yes. <laughs> very much a continual series of bait and switches. And then and you're right. Like the moment that happens, you're like, ooh, that's heavy. And then it goes to dark. So you have a moment to reflect. And then like when the game starts to load and you kind of get a sense for it, you already understand the jaded nature. You're given just enough backstory. So this is crucial, too, because like you want to bond with your person. So storytelling, they could have they could have chosen a lot of variant moments, but like that moment, the, the moment where everything turned, you know, and, and changed yeah. and flipped upside down to lead to the 20 year road. Like it really does. And you're like, okay, well this is how we know he's grungy, you know, <laughs> and that, in that regard, yeah. you know, both emotionally yeah, for sure. and physically, you know, and that's also another thing too, where, you know, there's a lot of like interesting juxtapositions in this game, you know, when it comes to the broken downness of the cities, but the beautiful nature of the forests, you know, and then you just, you know, you kind of learn with his jaded past. And then, like, you have the new generation of kids that didn't know what the life was before then. And it's like a dream to them. You know, a lot of people that mm-hmm. reviewed this said that, like, that back and forth of, you know, of having, you know, it be so long that there's a whole nother group of people that exist that didn't know what the world was prior. You know, that interesting dynamic. Yeah. You know, the two that that also is another that's an interesting parallel to what we're living through now, honestly, because, you know, if you think about it, every generation has their own, I don't want to say apocalypse that, you know, that's being hyperbolic, but, you know, every generation has their own, I I feel like mini crisis. I don't think it's nearly as insane as the world wars as previous generations had to deal with or Vietnam, but every generation has, you know, their own Gulf war, they have their own financial crisis. We have a pandemic. We also lived through the financial crisis, you know, the Great Recession of 2008 and 9. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now, you know, and now living through our own pandemic, it's one of those things where, you know, I have a three-year-old son. I, you know, I don't even know, like, how, you know, when he's, when my son is like, you know, 14, 15, 16, like, to explain to him what it was like to live through some of the times that we did that the times that we grew up in um because you're just not going to know until you live through it on your own and i think that's really interesting i mean especially in relation to the second game which we'll be talking about later uh, later on in a later episode um you know there is this some you know there was something about living through the apocalypse and and taking that experience with you and how your actions are played out in the, in the, especially in the consequences of those actions and the choices that you make along the way. So I guess moving forward here, 
you know, we are, it does cut 20 years later. Well, before we do that, though, before we do that, I have a little thing to fill in the gaps here. Now, this is not part of the game, so I'm just going to kind of do this really quick. But uh, one of the recaps I covered, there was a a prequel um, uh, comic that was written uh, in the world. It's called American Dreams Falls, and it's a prequel comic. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is set in 2032. It's actually 19 years later, so it's one year before um, the the game starts. And so just to, to recap here, as, as, as we were about to cover here, so we, you know, there's two people that I mentioned in the beginning, Joel, which we've just heard his intro story. And before we kind of meet Ellie, you know, there's a little bit of background here where it, it, in the comic, you, you learn that when Ellie was younger, she was actually sent to Boston, which is the same place that Joel starts the game in 20 years later when we get there. And this was a year ago. And apparently she was basically in this military like kind of school training area. And she befriended a, a, a person named Riley and her friend Riley, as they meet Riley just expresses that she does not want to basically be in the military. She doesn't like that. And apparently they enroll you when you're 16 and she said she's about to be 16. So she's looking to get out to find this fraction, you know, known as the fireflies, which we'll, we'll cover soon. So, she tells this to Ellie and they kind of become friends. Well, you know, obviously things happen and Ellie ends up, you know, having something go down when she's stuck with Riley and they end up finding a radio where they find out where the fireflies might be. So they ended up showing up to the fireflies and there was a fight that ensues between the army and the fireflies and Ellie and Riley are kind of in the middle of it. And then, you know, they get caught by the fireflies and captured and taken to the base. You know, but before that you learn that like basically it shows you how Ellie learns how to ride a horse uh, which is kind of important because that's happens. Oh, interesting. Yep, that's yeah. quite a bit. So apparently in the old abandoned mall with Riley and her friend Winston, they uh, basically taught her how to ride a horse, which once we get to game two, you'll know why that's important. Um, so essentially when they get captured, you know, you'll find out that uh, Merlin um, or Marlin, I guess, is the is the head of the Marlene. Marlene. Sorry. Marlene is the head of Fireflies. And, you know, push comes to shove the end of this kind of you comic is 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 ellie interacts uh was marlene 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 yeah. marlene so ellie interacts with marlene again and basically marine says that like you know ellie tries to run away and marine says her name and ellie turns around shocked that like this lady knew her name and apparently like the head of the fireflies knew ellie's mother and had a note written from her mother and then gave her the switchblade um that used to be her mom's that you kind of oh interesting that you kind of okay. see um that you see in the games later on and essentially basically she says that she's been professor snaping ellie all along and for those that don't <laughs> and for those that don't get that reference basically she's been silently looking after her while being aggressive um and yeah. you know and saying that like I, yeah then i sent you she's basically saying i was the one that arranged for you to go to boston you know, to do this. And then, yep. And so you have all that, but then at the end of it, Riley sneaks back out um, to join the fireflies. And then she returns uh, six weeks later, which begins the DLC content. Yeah. Then maybe, you know what, then maybe before we move into the bulk of the last of us, maybe we could talk then about left behind, which is the, uh, which is the DLC content for the last of us, because I think, I think it actually, it'll play nicely off of, of your little backstory here feeling. So the left behind it, it was this DLC that came out, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a year after the, the initial, uh, game of the last of us came out. And, 
before we move into the rest of the story, it does take place in some present moment, like in between a few events in, in the main game, but largely it focuses on Ellie and Riley's relationship prior to Ellie ever meeting Joel. And so basically is, is what happens. It is sort of starts off with that, with the way that the comic ends is Riley shows up to Ellie's dorm. It's like, Hey, you know, like I, I want to see you again, you know, and hang out with you. And, and Ellie is obviously like, what the hell, man, you just fucking disappeared on me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, you know, I had no idea where you were, you know, like you were my best friend. I think Riley is like two or three years older than, than Ellie as well. So there's that sort of dynamic going on. And, out of, you know, after a small little, you know, scuff, I don't want to say scuffle, but, you know, a small uh, disagreement, you know, Riley's like, hey, you know, like, let's let's just get out of here for a night. Let me take you, show you some places because, like, I don't, you know, I don't know the next no, time. No, she said, I got a surprise for you. To... I got a surprise for you at the mall. Oh, I got a surprise for you right. at the abandoned that's mall. Right. And that's yeah. the mall that they hung out with in the comic. That's right. OK, thank you for reminding me. So. Yeah, so Riley has a surprise for Ellie. It really bothers me how similar their names are, but <laughs> they so she um she they take her to the mall. She takes her to the mall. And what was it what would they get there to? It was to show her the uh the carousel, right? Yeah, it was the yeah, so yeah, that's the one moment that I think though is is in, important to bring up that I'm interested that they put this in there where in the in the comic, they briefly stop at an arcade, and Ellie, of course, makes the statement that she wished she could play the games. And this is a oh, yeah. and this is a really yeah. good, this is also the first example, um, or one of the one of the first examples in the timeline. You know, not necessarily shown in the game, but with the accurate timeline of Ellie, like you know, daydreaming about what life was like before everything went down. And there's this beautiful scene where Riley kind of like has her close her eyes and puts her hands on the controls and Riley kind of narrates what it would be like to play the game, you know, and then you Mm -hmm. see Ellie kind of like get, you know, really involved with it. And so at that point, it kind of shows that Ellie has like a creative nature. She's imaginative, you know, she's able to envision things and see things. And I think that's also important. Again, when you're building characters, I think it was smart what Naughty Dog did here with their team of writers you know, is, is even after the game is out, you're further building different elements of these people and what drives their minds and why we become so connected to them when we play through the game. For sure. I do think that these little moments, you know, of gameplay and story beats are some of the, some of the best writing in media. And I, I don't think you can really find that in on any other medium, I, maybe on some, over the top HBO series, you know, it depends. All I mean, I mean, it's one of the, it's, no, but, one of, it's a good one, but I mean, there's, there's other games too. Like, I know this is a, definitely like, yeah, for no, example, the writing, yeah. the writing in uh, red dead redemption two is phenomenal. Great. And the voice sure. acting, which is, I've heard, I've heard really, really amazing things about it. My wife is playing through it right now and she absolutely loves it. Right. And the thing is too, and that's why the last of us is so pivotal as well, because you know, what we're learning is that it's important to have great writing and voice acting and storytelling. Like the three of those have to work together, you know, and this, you know, and of course gameplay is important, but you know, a lot of us will forgive. And I think Ian, you're right. The reason, the main reason why we're not going to focus so heavily on gameplay is because even myself, if the story is good enough, I'll forgive gameplay. You know, if if sure. it's not quite as yeah. much as I like it, but if there's the the story's not good and the gameplay's great, if the story's not driving me, I don't know. You know, it's it's tough to say if I'd continue. So that's why this is you're right. Yeah, it's, this game is good on both fronts. It, 
it de- it definitely show it definitely shows like our 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 obvious difference in 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 appeal to games because I mean I could I could go on and on about my love for the Dark Souls series and how people sort of bash it for having a lackluster story, but I also think that maybe they're just not. Well, no, because you. Well, that's much. right. Because you said that they choose opinion. to tell the. But moving to- on like, through they these, to tell the story through like item description, which if you're not reading the descriptions, right. Which yeah, is a, it's its own way, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like you yeah, can't judge everything the same DC because dialogue. that is its own unique style. Like you know, environmental storytelling is definitely much sure. different than what this is. Yeah, but this is also too like games have tried to do this and have not succeeded. You know, this is where. You know, this is why you can take things like it's not just Absolutely. a post-apocalyptic, but it's 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 human and it's our natures and that's what we're driven to and that's what we want to see and watch and and that's what's pulling you into this game. This is why I think you constantly say, you know, it's maybe more of an action, you know, survival and not a horror survival because it's so rooted in, in human the, the human emotion, the human element of it. It's easy to not be scared of the environment that you're in because it seems so realistic to what we might do if we were in that environment. No, I, I think you're right, Josh, about just how you know, how, how it really impacts, especially on a, on a, on a more human level, as you were saying. And you know, speaking of that, I, I do want to move through the other beats on this because I think there's a really, especially amazing human moment as the rest of this Last of Us deals or the the Left Behind DLC moves on. You know, for for going the the present beat moments, but with these you know this these flashbacks between Ellie and and Riley. And as they're moving through this, uh, through this department store or or shopping mall, they do you know they do arrive at the at the carousel that we were talking about earlier, and they somehow they they there's power running through the um uh, through the shopping mall that they're able to get on. I, I don't remember exactly how they're able to do it, but you know, it's but, like a generator. I think they oh, found sure. like a generator or something, but it didn't last very long. You know, they only had power for like a little bit. Right. One or two right. rounds. So, you know, Riley and Ellie, they get on the carousel. It's a very special moment. And you can tell they're starting to bond again after their brief separation. What was it? Six months or six weeks or something like that. That we were talking about earlier in the comic. Yeah. 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 Six weeks. Yeah. So they, you know, they, they're moving through the rest of the, uh, through the rest of the mall. And I think it's at one point Riley reveals to her, I don't remember exactly how it comes up, but Riley reveals to Ellie that one of the reasons why, in fact, I think one of the, the main reason why, aside from the surprise of the carousel that Riley wanted to take Ellie out that night is the fact that Riley is moving out of the quarantine zone with the fireflies the next morning. And so she wanted to have this sort of last hurrah, like I wanted to see my best friend one last time before we might not ever see each other again. And Ellie is obviously put off by this. You know, it's just like, dude, you're my best friend. You disappeared on me during the Fireflies. I thought we were going to be in it forever. Why are you fucking leaving me here? You know, because I don't think Ellie really enjoys the military school either. And so, you know, they they definitely have, you know, uh, some disagreement about, you know, what approach they take. And, and there's one point where Riley, I I think this is pretty soon after that moment. It's like, Hey, like, let's try and get over this and have fun. You know what I have is some you know, because at one point they had like water guns where they were confiscated. That's something that Riley was alluding to. And Riley actually was able to find them and take them back from a guard or somebody. And so they're like, Hey, let's have a water fight. Like, this will be fun. It's silly. But it's like, come on, let's do it. Ellie is, reluctant to it at first but she eventually agrees and the, and so you sort of have this gunfight 
which is interesting in contrast to the the present day moments of the DLC where you're fighting actual hunters and infected. And also, and what Ian means too is in the gameplay, you actually have to like you pump and shoot the water, yeah, you know, and hit the person. It's like they make yeah, they you were super soakers. play as Elliot, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. and they literally make you do the you know the super soaker battle, right? And so, you know, soon after that, you know, Ellie's Ellie's guard kind of comes down. She's like, "Okay, this was fun. You know, maybe I can't accept you leaving for for Riley to re- to leave." And I think they come into one other last department store. I think it's like this some high end clothing store. You know, I don't remember exactly. And Riley finds this uh, record player that is linked with the store's PA system, and obviously, you know, with a little bit of power that they had running to the mall they're able to turn it on they're able to turn it on and so riley plays some music and encourages uh ellie to come up and dance with her you know it's, it's sort of this silly hokey you know teenage moment right like come on let's dance you know in the middle of the apocalypse and you know she eventually gets ellie to come up there and dance with her you know she lets her guard down even further and they you know they have a great you know sort of intimate moment with one another dancing and i think this is it's interesting, you know, in us talking about this event now, because throughout the game, you know, I don't know what this has to say about our, you know, our society as a whole, but throughout, you know, throughout the game, you think that Ellie, you know, through the main game, that Ellie is just this regular girl, right? Just living through the apocalypse, you know, in any other, you know, normal circumstance. And, you know, not to say the regular means a specific thing, but in this moment, when you know the past when riley and ellie are dancing ellie after like the song ends or something she's like i don't want you to go i she tells riley i don't want you to go like don't go please stay with me and i think in that moment riley sees that ellie is genuinely going to miss her and that she is one of the the best friends that she's ever going to have and she's like okay fuck it like i'm not going to go she takes off her little firefly dog tag she's like she throws her to the ground and it, you know, Ellie sees that and reacts to it and kisses her. And it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. Like, uh, you know, it's sort of this, it's sort of this surprise because, you know, I don't know, as like some heterosexual cis male, <laughs> just like, you know, every woman you ever see on in the planet is straight. Right. Um, and so <laughs> you see that. My Lord. <laughs> see, and this is where it's like funny. Cause we're going to get to that, which I'll tell you, it's like, I knew that or with Riley and and no, no, no. I just met with Riley and Ellie. Like when we get to this and now it's the Tarantino a little bit, because it's like at the end of the game, Mm -hmm. you know, it's Ellie has her description, you know, or or whatever, what what you're described is about to happen. And just the way that Ellie talked about Riley, then I was like, I knew that their connection was stronger than just friendship. Like in that immediate moment. It definitely, it definitely seemed like that. You know, you don't know to the extent of which it was, you know, stronger than she was alluding to, but it was, you say that but like for me i don't know i guess and you're right you don't actually know but like my intuition was pretty strong with that statement you know that that's what so maybe that's romantic maybe that's your theater background coming in and and informing you in that sort of you know looking into the words as you're saying about riley in the past and and looking at her facial expressions and and how she feels and the inflections the the tone of voice the inflections the the looks in the the eyes the shifts the the level of care Mm -hmm. um you know because in theater they always say raise the stakes where it's like 
you know, if you, you know, you, you, if your goal is to, you know, if they say, what's your goal? You're like, oh, I want the other person to like me. And you go, no, raise the stakes. You're like, fine. I want them crawling hands in their knees and confessing their love to me. It's like, boom, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, and, and so that's like the joke we always make. So you raise the stakes. So for that, it's just like, you know, to have that level of guilt and have all these different things that she feels like you have, there's got to be a high level of love there. For that, sure. That is. Chan says anyway, but you you're about to get to the good. Yeah, part but but, can... but within this moment, right that we're talking of is talking about is that Ellie does kiss Riley, and at first you you know you take a second, it's like okay, does does Riley feel the same way? And then it, it, it almost immediately it's like clear, like okay, like yes, like I feel this bond too. Now what are we gonna do about this? You know, like are like I you know Marlene isn't gonna want to take me back to the Fireflies. Like I don't want to leave you. That sort of thing. But the moment, unfortunately, is cut short because, of course, with the music of them playing during their dancing, it calls uh, these infected runners into their vicinity and they're sort of ambushed in a way. And they're forced to escape and run away. And it's obviously this very frantic moment because you're like, Jesus Christ, like, it, you know, like it's the goddamn apocalypse. I'm having one moment of sweetness. And now it's undercut by these fucking zombies. <laughs> and, you mm-hmm. know, and so, you know, so Ellie and, and Riley are forced to Which run away. Which is a common theme in the game. That's true. That's you know, very true. Yeah. You know, there are sweet moments met with, you know, uh, you know, brevity, <laughs> you know, within a, within an apocalyptic landscape. And so they're forced to run away. You know, you as controlling Ellie, you you know, you're going down corridors trying to escape them all. Uh, you I think you get into not some not some rafters, but like some. Uh, I don't even, I don't even know what they're called, but you know, but it's, it's like clearly under construction in the midst of the apocalypse and they're trying to escape up into the upper levels, but they are eventually attacked by runners. Uh, you know, I, bo- either of them are tackled. I'm not sure both of them are. Um, but in, in the end, Riley is able to pull out a gun, you know, because she has been training with the fireflies and, and shoots the remaining runners after their escape. And they realize, you know, it's sort of the end of this, of of them trying to outrun the the infected, is they've both been bitten by the infected. And so they realize that they are, you know, they're going to die. Uh, at least at least as far, you know, we with with knowledge that we've had from playing their main game, we know that that's and not that's where we're going to leave it. We're just going to leave it at that cliffhanger. And we're going to say that because then <laughs> right. I think it's important to jump back because we're going to eventually get to that. So that's where that ends. Yes. You know, and yeah. then it begins again one year later. OK, we're now in the summer of 2033 and uh, we meet Joel. You know, 20 years later from what the intro was. Right. Yeah. We meet Joel again. And uh, yeah, in the summer and he is in Boston in this quarantine zone. And, he, you know, you see him. He's a much more grizzled man. You know, he he's got gray hairs in his beard. He's got rougher, rougher clothes. You know, he's got like this dirty plaid shirt. And I think even in that. Even in that uh, jump forward in time, you even see his watch that Sarah had given him. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's broken, you know, so you realize like, OK, something, you know, must have happened, which is actually interesting because when she gives it to him in the in the beginning, she jokes or he jokes rather that like she gave him a broken watch <laughs> and, you know, it ends up becoming broken. Also, it's another sense of symbolism uh-huh. because it, ref- it shows the it shows the past. Yeah. 
you know, and having it broken just means, you know, just another connection to the fact that he's got to, you know, his past is broken or it's no longer working or it's can't work or, right. you know, any sort of symbolistic metaphor that you want out of that. The watch is definitely the representation. Yeah, for sure. So and for us, too, it's fresh. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's absolutely. the thing, too, because we just played through the intro. You know, for him, it's 20 years for us. It's like, oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no kidding. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I like the way you put that. It's like, hmm. It's still sore, <laughs> you know, and yep. but, you know, immediately we're brought into the presence of Tess, uh, Joel's confidant and partner, it seems like a partner in crime. You know, she knocks on the door. She comes in and she is clearly of similar caliber as Joel. You know, she's she's just sort of tough woman with, you know, a, a hard edge. And, you know, you're like, okay, who, you know, who's this lady? And you find out quickly that they are smugglers. You know, that's what, mm-hmm. what Josh was alluding to earlier. But, but Joel and this test woman have become smugglers in this post-apocalypse, you know, trying to make their way and survive. And you find out that Tess is... You know, well, Tess and Joel have this deal going on with this character named Robert where they had a bunch of guns that they were trying to get from him. And they, you know, he was he's like goes off in hiding basically as like stole their guns from them. And so they're like, well, this so is real quick, though, to set the scene, to set the scene here. Sure. You know, what do you mean by smugglers? So we're we're in Boston. And this is again, this is another thing about the juxtaposition of of the extremes. We're talking mm-hmm. like the broken down city and the beautiful nature. We're talking with the children and what they think the world was and what the adults know the world was to be. This is another example of you have complete and utter chaos when it comes to the apocalypse. But because there's certain branches of the military still around, it is totalitarianistic extreme order and control. Yeah. You know, and so you have these cities, which is 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 very you know very authoritative and very order and and almost too much so to where the fact that it because it's so strict that's why you know Jewel and Tess can smuggle things you know tried to get past that that's how you can make a career there and so again you have this crazy uh, you know just both do dualities going on between chaos and order you know with with it comes to the background of the the environment that you see Joel in twenty years later yeah. No, I think, no, I think that's great to highlight because you, you do see that very similar theme throughout the game and how nature is this, is this force to, that you just, it, people are just failed to reckon with. I mean, and it really sets the stage for the cordyceps, uh, infection, right? Because like, there's almost nothing that you can do about it. And in the end, like people actually don't do anything about it, you know? and cordyceps is the mushroom that affects anybody or the fungus i guess i should say um that that is actually based on a real life fungus but it doesn't affect humans it's only it's only affects insects Mm -hmm. but like that's what that's what it's based on or inspired by i guess is a better better yeah it's it's, yeah it's quite a terrifying it's quite a terrifying fungus because it like the spores get into the insect's body and it burrows into its brain and it basically it controls the its host in order to like get to a high spot and latch onto any nearby vegetation and then just takes over the host body and like basically sprouts little you know like little stems of of fungus where it can just spread its spores even more and it's basically it turns the insects into zombies that's sort of what the inspiration that Josh is talking about here uh for the infected of the game but 
And speaking of this quarantine zone, so they Joel and Tess that you know they they find that Robert is has taken their guns, and so they're like, we're gonna get this fucker because like this is our only way of making money. And you know they work their way through the quarantine. They find out where he's at. He's like hiding out in the docks. He's got a bunch of hired goons, and you know Joel and Joel and Tess are pretty capable, and so you, you know you can pretty quickly take them out and find Robert. You know you go on this little chase, but he's this sort of. I don't know. I mean, how would you describe Robert? He's he's this sort of like timid, scrawny guy. Like, I don't know how he was a leader of anybody. Um, I mean, yeah, you kind of introduce. I guess the thing is, is like even with, you know, with Tess and, and Joel, you, 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 you I don't know, you sense uh, some courage and some some wherewithal to power through. And and this is the first kind of character where you, you see a bit of cowardness. And, yeah. you know, obviously you you learn that because, you know, you find out. You know, that like, and you kind of knew, I, I, how do you say that? Like, as soon as you met Robert, you kind of knew that this guy probably screwed something up. Yeah. You know, again, the way that they're kind of like telling the story and, and each character that they put in has a particular purpose and, and the nervousness and the scaredness and all that stuff plays into, because again, you know, like most good stories, you know, we have to set up the quest. And so this For is sure. like right before we're about to get the quest of what's going to fuel the rest of the game. Right. So upon... You know, upon getting to Robert, you know, Joel and Tess, they're like, what the hell did you do with our merchandise, basically? And he tells him, it's like, look, you know, I sold them to the Fireflies. You know, this is this rival faction to the uh, to the people who can, you know, the soldiers and the, the, the remnants of the government who are controlling the quarantine, uh, you know, because they're having these ongoing battles. There was sort of, you know, towards the beginning of taking control of Joel. Well, he owed money to the fireflies. That's right. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. So he's like, well, I've got these yeah. guns, I, you know, and I need to survive too. So like, I'll just give you the guns. Yeah. So he took yeah. the guns of Joel. Yeah. He took, he took the guns, of Joel and Tess and broke their trust because he owed money to the fireflies right. and he needed to pay. Yeah. And so, and so that's how we bring in the fireflies, right. you know? To the so basically, scene. you know, like because Joel and, and Tess are pissed off at this fucking guy, they kill him in cold blood. And Marlene, who we talked about before, the leader of the Fireflies, she shows up uh, because she's searching for Robert as well. And, you know, she seems to have some type of grave injury. You know, it's not exactly revealed like how she got that. Some some shootout from, you know, the the remnants of the, you know, the government. And she's like, hey, look, like I, you know, I needed him alive. Like, why did you guys fucking do that? Like I, he gave him his guns. They're like, well, look. Look, Marlene, you know, those guns were ours. You know, we had a right to them. Like what the, you know, something's got to give. And so Marlene, you know, being sort of a negotiator here, uh, in the end, we'll find out she's not uh, the greatest. But she, you know, she's like, hey, look, I if you smuggle something out of the city for me. I'll give you all your guns plus some. And, you know, Joel and, and Tess, like, you know, I don't know why we should trust this lady, but let's see what she's got. So they take her to where she's hiding out the thing that needs to be smuggled. And it's Ellie as a, you know, 14 year old girl. Right. And to be fair, before that, you know, they, they were debating on whether or not to do that because they said their expertise was smuggling things in, not smuggling things out. Mm. Yeah, that's a good you point. Know, that's a good point. A good. Right. A good separation there. Yeah. That builds that. tension. And and Ellie by you know marlene needs ellie smuggled out of the city and so i in you know in this ensuing uh in these ensuing chapters joel he's like hey look you know like 
or well, I guess no, I guess Joel has quite the reluctance to even to want to take Ellie. He's like, this is not we're not in the business of smuggling people. And Marlene is like, no, trust me, I'm good for all the guns. And so Tess goes with Marlene, I guess, to to see all the guns. And it turns out to be it turns out to be legit. And in this, you know, during this time, Joel watches uh, Ellie for a little while. He takes her back to a a safe house. You know, they have some bickering back and forth a little bit. You know, she's sort of a mouthy teenager. I really I really cannot wait for my son to to be that mouthy. And, you know, and but, you know, it's and spunk. Joel, we call that spunk. Yes, yeah, spunk. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and Joel is obviously reluctant, right? Because he's like, I don't I don't want anything to do with my past life because Joel is still hurt. Right. Well, you not know? just his past life. It's more of like it's it's. The best way to describe it is, is you, um, he emotionally put up a wall. You know what I mean? When, when something traumatic uh-huh. like that happens, when you, I bet when you watch your child die in your arms and <laughs> it's survival mode, yeah, like it's full blown survival mode that you just bury that and you put that in a place that you don't want to see it again. And when you see somebody that could be the similar age as your daughter and you feel like you might build a bond with that person, what it is, is you're going to spark similar emotions that of caring and, and wanting to protect. And it reminds you of, of what you couldn't protect, yeah. you know, and, and what you lost. And so for him, I think that because he's buried that such a deep place, even the mere risk of possibly exposing some of that, you know, he decided to take the harsh and, and stern road, you know, to not, you know, basically it's a, it's a, textbook defense mechanism absolutely yeah yeah you're not wrong about that but you know with tess seeing their seeing that they have that marlene has the guns you know they joel reluctantly agrees to smuggling ellie out of the city and out of the quarantine zone and on their way you know they start to move through the cities at night you know they wait to go through some secret passages and some secret tunnels but because uh, you know, the quarantine soldiers are actively looking for infected that could possibly get in the city or looking for, you know, for people like Joel and Tess, you know, for smuggling shit in and out. They find them that the soldiers come across Joel and Tess and they are forced into this confrontation where, you know, they're being tested to see if they're infected. And in the midst of this um, of this altercation, Ellie makes a rash move and stabs one of the soldiers and Joel and Tess kill the, you know, kill them basically in order to survive. And it's like, what the hell? Like, you know, this was not what the plan was. Like we, you know, we didn't want to, to things for, to escalate. We were trying to make this clean and get out, but in, you know, within this moment of, of them, you know, in this sort of uh, frantic attitude, they see that while the soldiers were testing Joel and Tess and Ellie, if they were infected, so they, you know, would do something about it. It turns out that Ellie is infected. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, this sort of call has that callback right to the left behind where her and Riley were bitten by, uh, bitten by the infected runners and, and then the, not, a, not any clickers, but they're in, in, bitten by infected. And, this is where we find out or, you know, we at least we we can allege that Ellie is telling the truth about this is that Ellie says that she is immune, that she was bitten, you know, weeks, if not months ago, and that she, you know, her infection hasn't progressed. And the reason why Marlene wanted to get Ellie out of the city is the fact that like her immunity could lead to some kind of cure. 
And so this is right. where... And, and they oh, even bring ahead. it up, though, too, because yeah. they cover a few things. First of all, they say that the bite wound was healed, which is they've never seen a wound like that heal, because most people, they even said, turn within two days of being bitten. Right. You know, on average. Yeah. You know, yeah. so to see the, the, the bite wound healed as, as, as much as it has or the scar tissue on it is, is like proof that that bite is, has, la- has lasted much longer than the two-day period, which is kind of makes you want you, – you already kind of suspend that disbelief and be like, even though we don't know the evidence, because of just the healing of the bite mark, you can assume that she's immune. Yeah. Exactly. And even, you know, even though that that Joel and Tess are sort of, you know, I think Joel especially is like, I don't want to believe this shit. You know, like we really shouldn't be involved. Tess definitely makes that same assertion that you're making. Like, no, this shit could be real. Like we should get her to the fireflies because like one, we could at least get our the shit that we're owed. And like this shit could be real. And, and so, once again, what did they just do, Ian? What did they just do? What do we talk about good storytelling? They just raised the motherfucking stakes. That, so that's what they did. That's it. Yeah, they so, did. So if you think about that, and that's the thing, that's the beauty of the storytelling. So it's not just like, oh, we got to get this girl out of town. Now we learned that this one person could save humanity. Like now, now the stakes are properly raised. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They are. And so it's just like, okay, this is, this has much bigger implications than just, trying to get a girl out of the city for, you know, for whatever reason. And it, and, and it almost raises above like all of the, all of the things that could have happened in the past to these other characters, right? Like you almost, I don't want to say you want to forget, but you almost forget that Joel had this, his traumatic past because like Ellie's importance is all of a sudden shining through. Right. And so like, okay, now they are tasked by, by nature and by humanity to get this girl to somewhere to where they can find this cure. Right. And so they try to move their way through the remains of Boston. I think, you know, initially the fireflies and Marlene want uh, Joel and Tess to take Ellie to the Capitol building in Boston, you know, cause that's where the fireflies are supposed to be. And so they work their way through the dilapidated ruins of Boston. You know, they go through this museum, which is like, actually it's a really cool sequence because it's like, you get to see all this revolutionary um, era uh, antiques that have been not completely destroyed, but they're definitely, uh, definitely in a, in a state worse than they, than they started off in. And it's just cool to see that part of the country in that state. But as they go through, um, this, this destroyed city, they do eventually come upon, uh, they come upon the Boston Capitol building, you know, after of course dealing with infected and, 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 you know, barely surviving. However, in the, you know, in the previous encounters that they've, that they've had after they get to this, uh, Capitol building, Turns out all the fireflies have been gone and at least some of them have been killed by whomever it's assumed hunters or, um, or quarantine soldiers. Right. And so it's just like, fuck, like we got her here now. What the hell are we going to do? You know, Joel, especially, I mean, you know, that's this sort of common theme for his character, right? He's constantly feeling this big reluctance to do anything because he, he's been surviving for 20 years you know, on his own or with Tess and doing some pretty nasty shit. Like why should they risk their life for this girl, even though they don't know 
that she's infected. I know, and there's some callbacks to that. You'll learn later on in the game where he has some conversations with Tommy, and Tommy says something along the lines of like, oh, you know, like, when back the first affected over the first few years, it's like, you know, all the things you did. And, and I think Joel's got a line like I kept you alive or something like that. Yeah. So like, you can even tell that there was some roughness and in, in, in the early days of Joel's survival, you know, definitely before we see him 20 years later. Yeah, absolutely. But it is, again, it's, it's in this moment where we, we have this moment of despair where we realize that, you know, the fireflies aren't here and, Tess is insistent that they keep going or that Joel takes Ellie to, you know, to find the fireflies. And he's like, no, it's over. Like we're not, we're not going any further. And that's when Tess reveals that she's been bitten Mm. and her infection is much more rapidly uh, evolved and changed in a worsening state than Ellie's infection has. And, she says, "Is like, hey, look, this my my bite is a f- is a few hours old. Hers is weeks, if not months old. Like sh- this shit is real. She like you, she could be the cure. You need to do something about this. And you know, you know, you realize that soldiers are coming. That it was I don't know if it was some sort of setup that you know that the soldiers were going to be there. But either way, they're they're in a dire situation. So Joel and Ellie take off. Like they have to go. You know, they're not going to get killed and." And Tess has this standoff, you know, between the soldiers and, you know, it's sort of off screen, you know, you end up hearing through, through gunshots that she's killed off. And it's sort of disappointing because, you know, I really like Tess, honestly, like Mm -hmm. Tess was a cool character and, you know, I don't know what, you know, your thoughts about her, but it's just like it, again, it's, it sets this precedence. uh, It sets this precedence that loss is a big, is another big theme in this game that you don't really get goodbyes. It feels like in, you know, in this world, you know, like, yeah, that, you know, Joel and, and Tess had a, had a brief moment where like, Hey, this is it. But you know, people just, the world that they live in is so harsh and indifferent that just like, yeah, this is like, you know, who knows when the, your next friend is going to die. Well, also psychologically too. It's you, you, you see a different nature in Tess when she's so frantic about getting Joel to take Ellie. Mm-hmm. And even you, even myself, I was like, why are you being so aggressive? And I'm like, I hope you're not bit. And it's like, uh-huh. oh, shit, you're totally bit. But then for me, though, I, I thought about it. I said, first of all, obviously, Tess had to go because like I knew that the story was about Joel and Ellie. Sure. And here's three of them. So obviously, she you know she's the odd woman out. But at the same time, I really enjoyed that. As you said, you even see this because Tess is the one that shoots um, Robert, right? Tess is the one that does yeah, that. Yeah, so you're right. You even, yeah. So you even see kind of like everybody has had to do some, you know, awful things if you think about the world that they used to live in. And so the fact that she didn't just go out surviving, she went out on her own terms surviving. You know what I mean? And the sense of like she is going to help Joel and Ellie survive by sacrificing herself. Yeah. You know, so she's thinking that I'm going to choose to die, but I'm going to you know help them escape and therefore hopefully a cure to, to save the rest of humanity. So it's like almost this redemption arc, this mini redemption arc we get from her and just the few things that we get from watching her kill this Robert to watching her sacrifice for Joel and Ellie. 
you know, it's just, it, I think they, even though it was super small, they definitely tied that bow with a knot about it, giving a really good arc. Cause that's what you want from a character, especially like an actor. If I'm going to play a character, I want one that has like this arc where you start out as somebody else. And as you progress and go through the story and learn things about yourself, you come out on a different side. Yeah, definitely. And you know, it's after this, it's after this moment too, where I think the game, you know, you know, just talking about gameplay for a moment, since we are talking about a game, it really does start to amp up how, you know, it, it amps up the survival elements, but it also, it, you know, it amplifies how dire the game can really be, you know, because you're forced into fighting these soldiers, you, you know, you force to sneak around the Capitol building, you get eventually a rifle, which does like a lot of damage, um, you know, with very limited ammo. But after you sort of make your escape, you find your way into, um, I guess you, I guess you move through some, uh, through some spore, uh, you know, some spore infected corridors. So you have to escape and you actually realize that like Ellie really is immune because she can go through these areas without a face mask. Um, but because of their, you know, tepid interactions, you know, Joel, you know, tells to Ellie is like, look, you know, like we're going to do what I'm going to do. You're not going to talk about Tess. You're you have to follow my directions. Like if you want to survive, then you got to follow me. And that's, that's the end of it. It's my way of the highway. And, and he Ellie, also specifically says, we're never going to, you're not going to bring up my past. Oh yeah, you're right. Like, She's like, no, yeah. yeah, we're not talking about this. This is not about he, again. Me. Like I said, defense mechanism. He's put. He's already like he doesn't want those walls to come down. So he's making it very clear. You know, yeah. we're not talking about me. You're not talking about Tess. You listen or you die. Yeah. Like you're like all right. You yeah. Know, he's he's okay. Not, he's not messing around. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's kind of a mean stepdad at this point. But you know, mm-hmm. it's you know, but in in this moment though, you know, you realize okay, so uh, you realize that Joel he does have the skill you know, clearly to be able to get through, you know, he's, he's learned some, some tough shit, uh, in his past. And it's through his past that they, they, they move their, you know, they move on to their next location, right. In this town called Lincoln, somewhere outside of Boston, where this guy named Bill owes, uh, Joel a favor, uh, you know, something who knows what actually it was, but they get their way into this town and it's completely, completely covered in infected and in traps all over the place. And it's this really interesting, uh, it's, it's an interesting place to play because like you realize like this game is going to have these interesting spurts of dynamic variation throughout the game, you know? And that's what, again, like, you know, I keep coming back to this, why I don't think it's, it's a good way to label this game as survival horror it's more interesting as a survival action game because it has these set pieces, right? Where you, you know, there's, there's even one point where they go through a door that releases a trap and Joel is like strung up on a, on a noose with his foot hang, you know, with his, uh, from his ankle. And he's like dangling, uh, with this weighted, uh, you know, it's basically a dead weight, a dead drop or something. And, uh, Ellie is forced to like cut him down while he's trying to, uh, fender off with, uh, you know, with a very little limited ammunition and trying to shoot off these infected that are coming towards them until finally they are saved by their friend, Bill or his friend, Bill rather. And, you know, I, you know, I, I do, I want to get your, I want to get your take on Bill because, you know, he's an interesting, interesting character, but you know, he, I, I, 
when they get here, you know, Joe, the reason why they get there is because, you know, Joel wants to get a car to get across the country. And Bill is like this. One guy. thing we left out is that they, I think, I think, I think it was either a test or somebody that said that, but they, they need to make it to Pittsburgh. Like, I don't know if we covered that. I think, like, or if that I don't know if they need yet, to because... make it through Pittsburgh, but I think that, you know, the, the, we, I think they know that the fireflies, was it that they, they got some, yeah, to they got some information. They well, cause they got some information. That's where the fireflies moved to. Like, and I At think they, they found that when it. they were at the Capitol. Like, or something like that. That's where, because I know that that's where, after this encounter, that's where they end up. Uh-huh. So, but, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. So, there's a few things I want to say, though, real quick. Yeah, please. You know, uh, the, so, again, the, briefly, just talk about gameplay. The thing I think was fascinating is that, like, you know, there's these, like, you can interact with the world. So, there's one time when you have to, like, pick up this plank or whatever and lay it down on a roof in order for you to cross. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, certain, like, interactive puzzle storytelling. And the... You know, the the supply grabs, it's very minimal. You know, there's maybe like five or six things where you have like your bolts and you have like a cloth and you have like your your scissors that you grab. And in one review that I read, I thought was very interesting. So I'll give them props there. What it says that like when you when you get grab these things that you can craft with, everything kind of uses the same or similar items. So you have to be very specific on what you think you want to do. Sure. Um, yeah. And then second of all, it, it just makes you kind of makes you feel like you're with the character, like you're, you're interacting with your environment. You know, you're learning how to, you know, tape stuff on or grab something that you see and, and makeshift it and, and to use it to your advantage, you know, within navigating. And they kind of give you an option where they, they kind of, I don't know, for me, it's, it's very, you can tell early on that stealth is, is, is highly recommended mm-hmm. and it's, it's often, you know, the best way to go about it. You can be loud if you want, but of course they don't give you that much ammo and, you know, stealth is, is the name of the game. And so for me, that's why, like, I just never really do well in stealth. But you can tell that, you know, it's it's an, it's not just like you have to sneak because you're playing like Splinter Cell where it's required of you. You you literally feel like if if, if I'm heard, then, like, you know, I'm responsible for me and for this girl and, you know, and we're going to die. You know, and so it's like this, the, like you said, the adventure of always being heightened where stealth feels like you never in your entire life felt like you needed to be quiet more in the stealth moments for the last of us, especially when you're trying to navigate everything that's infected before you actually get to bill and further on in the game. You know, speaking of, of being quiet, actually, I want to talk about for a minute, the different kinds of infected. We've talked about the, the runners who are just like the standard infected, you know, sort of crazy people who just run around. They want to attack you. They want to beat you with your fists. But then what's interesting is that throughout the game, fairly early on we encounter these other enemies called clickers and that's where i think this is one of the most interesting sort of video game uh enemies that i think have ever been in games basically clickers are because of the fungal infection like spreading through uh their brain they have been completely blinded by these sort of fungal plates and so they can't see anymore and all they have to rely on is their hearing in order to navigate and to find uh, you know you know, non-infected people. And so they have these series of clicks that they do like echolocation to try and find you. And so there are a few points, you know, when you're, when Tess is still alive, when you're moving through uh, the ruins of Boston and when you get into Bill's town, there are clickers around where your stealth is actually very vital because if clickers hear you, 
then they'll be able to pinpoint your location pretty quickly. And, you know, uh, for the most part, if they attack you, it's a one shot kill. Now there are, you know, if you get a, a shiv and you have, it, it has plenty of durability, you can, you can take them down, but for the most part, they're one, one shot kill. And in the, as far as the difficulty, modes are, con- are concerned of the game like when you play on the highest difficulty i mean there's no coming back like it's you you know you yeah i don't know how much progress you lose but it's just like it can be a little nerve-wracking dealing these with these type of enemies and there is i'll get to one other enemy too here coming up that i think is really interesting um but as you again as you move through this town you do you do come into contact with bill and he's like hey man like what the fuck are you doing with my town you totally screwed up all my traps like what the hell are you doing here and joel is like hey man like i need a favor i need a car you got to get me a car because i gotta get to pittsburgh as we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. and so bill you know again like everybody you know every character that we meet is reluctant to help because everybody is really set on either helping themselves or just trying to survive. Right. And so unless there's some kind of incentive, you know, it's just like, why, why should I go out of my way? I mean, it's the goddamn apocalypse for fuck's sake. You know, (laughs) like I'm, I'm perfectly fine in my town and you came up here and screwed up all my traps and shit. Like, why should I help you? But you know, Joel does convince him. Uh, I don't think he, no, he doesn't tell uh, bill of Ellie's condition or anything like that. I think they keep that secret, but, yeah, but they move through the town. They get into another safe house of Bill, uh, oh, yeah. of Bill's, and he he's like staying in a, in a church or something like that. Yeah, and on the way of finding a car, they realize that Bill had a partner who was staying there with him, who had also he, he had killed himself, and Bill, you know, I think was sort of damaged from that pretty deeply. And that's why he, you know, sort of became this isolationist. And again, it's just this constant theme of loss and and what that does uh, to people. And, you know, like you, you've been constantly referencing Joel, putting up these defense mechanisms. It's very similar with bill, you know, because he's been there on his own for a long time and he, and he lost a, a dear friend and a partner, you know, when they, because they do come across his, his body. The true irony here is that like, they're suffering from loss, but because of the chaos and the and and the and the severeness of the survival element, uh-huh. that like it's it almost makes it easier to bury or to move forward because there's like no you just cannot help but you, there's nothing else you could do but move forward. Yeah, true. You know, and it's almost like a forceful nature. So it's, that's what I mean. It's again, it's this it's this interesting dichotomy of like you know this is not the world that anybody wants to live in, but at the same time, because of what it's taken. You know, if things were normal, I bet it would be much more difficult for all these people to process their grief or, or to or to, you know, really or you know, to actually feel it and, and, and let it affect them the way that they just kind of bury it or the way that they let it go. Yeah. And it's just because of how survivalistic it is. It's just an interesting position all in all. And they keep reminding you of that. Yeah, they definitely do. They definitely, you know, they they sort of beat you over the head with it. Like, look, this is like. People are at rock bottom and we're going to, you know, in a lot of ways, as far as the narrative is concerned, like we're going to force these people to try and, and move on. Some people do it better than others. And Bill is one of those people who definitely he's like, no, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. You know, like I, I'm upset that my partner's dead, but like, uh, I don't, you know, this is where I'm staying. I'm not going anywhere. 
And but with but with Bill wanting to, you know, eventually coming along to, you know, to help Joel and Ellie, not coming along in their journey, but uh, to to come around to help them is that they, you know, what the, what they realize is they need a battery to get a car working. And so they go on to like uh, the high school, I think, in that town. And it fetch is quest. Fetch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah those are called fetch quests in rpg terms just in case uh yeah exactly uh, but at the same time know. though it's <laughs> but it's a nice but it's still a nice way of again it's 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 clever storytelling it's it's and so that's the thing too like the real quick the only thing i'll mention is you can see a lot of examples of these but it's some some games will have things that you can do or things that they make you do and it might seem tedious or you're like i don't understand why i have to do that but everything that you do in this game, every mission that you end up getting, it's so flawlessly written into the narrative yeah. that it doesn't even feel like it's a quote unquote a mission. So uh, like I joke and because you can you know, if you interpret enough, you can kind of see when the missions quote unquote are like, especially like taking Ellie. You're like, OK, well, this is like obviously the main quest. But at the same time, it's so interwoven into the way that the story is told. You know, it's one of the reasons why also, too, like you feel like it's such such an open world game, but it's actually relatively structured in the way that the level design is, which oh, yeah. makes it also even even more fascinating to where because it's structured in how a story would be told that you don't feel like you're being boxed in like some games do. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I th- I th- you're definitely right about that. And, you know, in this, you know, sort of linear storytelling that they're trying to do, they do come upon this high school like we were like I was just mentioning, and they, I, I think it's, I don't think it's right away. No, it is, it is, it is relatively right away. They, they get into the school and they realize that this, uh, that this truck that's in there, it's like an old military Humvee. The battery has been taken. And it's like, God damn it. What the hell? Like, you know, we get here and we realize, you know, this sort of, it's another sort of video game trope as, as Josh is mentioning, but like we get there on this fetch question, the thing that you want isn't there. So they got to find their way out. However, what I was talking about earlier with the different hunter, t- uh, with the different infected types, rather, we are now introduced to the bloater who is this absolutely like hulking, infected enemy you know this sort of boss type enemy as it were that is completely covered in these like pustule globules and these fungus uh like protrusions where he can like pull off like different parts of his body and throw them at you that are acidic it's fucking nasty and like it's a pretty intense moment because as you're trying to deal with this enemy other other infected are sort of swarming in and you and Bill and Ellie are trying to survive. And it takes quite a bit to get this bloater down. And when you do, you know, it's, it's still sort of a rush because more hunters are coming in. And so you're, you're trying to escape, trying to get through the rest of the facility. And I think you end up moving through some uh, like electrical plant or some other, some other type of uh, utilities plant that you go through. And you realize that after you guys, after everybody escapes that like, they had sort of sealed it off from the other end and saying like, you shouldn't enter because there's a shit ton of infected in here. And it sort of has this, you know, funny, you know, almost ironic moment where like, Oh fuck, you know, if only we would have seen that from the other side. But I think they do eventually make their way through the rest of the town. They find uh, what we were talking about earlier. They find Bill's partner who has killed himself. And in that moment, they realized that his partner had actually, he had been the one that had stolen the battery from the truck and put it mm-hmm. in another vehicle on their way to escape. And so um, I don't know how much, uh, what else more you want to say about Billstown, but this is definitely the point where 
they, you know, the pace picks up a bit and they're able to take off towards uh, Pittsburgh. No, I think that's good. I feel like, you know, I, I want our listeners to be engaged, but also we're, we're, we're borderlining. Like, was this going to be our first five hour podcast, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely, you know, we'll definitely take breaks and, you know, interspersed throughout it. But yeah, I mean, just this first episode, uh, you know, please bear with us. We just want to give due diligence. And obviously, Josh is is quite is indulging me quite a bit. Yeah, um, well, who knows? I mean, we might. Yeah, we, we might even break the first one into two parts. Let's do a four series run. We'll see how far we get. Okay. <laughs> right. But yeah. no, you're you are not wrong. This that was all that all took place in the summer as Ian likes to know the game kind of breaks down. time. So again, you have certain things where there's storytelling elements. So a, a, a classic thing to progress time is like to like if you're a male character and you have a beard, like maybe you, you have a five o'clock shadow. And then when you show them again, they have a longer beard like or hair. Mm. You have short hair, you have longer hair. So there's certain things that you can do to tell uh, the time change. And and the last of us, they use the seasons, you know, to really kind of hone in on time changes. You know, yeah. so that was definitely kind of in the summer. And I do think that by the time that they get to Pittsburgh, I think it does move uh, when you get to the next chapter of the game. It does move seasons. Yeah, it doesn't. When you get to Pittsburgh, it's still technically summer, but it's it, but right after Pittsburgh, it moves into fall. Um, but as uh, but yeah, so as we're ever as we're moving into Pittsburgh, you know, they're driving in the you know, they're driving in this truck and they're, um, of course, ambushed by hunters who we realize are they're not like their own faction of of survivors, but they're people who are just out there surviving who are not affiliated with Fireflies or the pre government quarantine agency soldiers or anything like that. They're just out there trying to survive and they're, you know, Joel and Ellie and ambush them by the truck, you know, in their truck, they crash and they try to escape through Pittsburgh. They have lots of encounters with hunters and I'm, I'm going to be sort of skimming through this to get to sort of the, some of the meat of these uh, next interactions that are, that are really important here, but they, you know, they make their way through the town. They go through this hotel, which is actually really interesting because they get into this hotel, they make their way through the top, you know, of it, but in order to escape, they have to take, I think they go through these elevator shafts and Joel, uh, gets separated from Ellie because he falls to the bottom of the elevator, uh, in the bottom of the, of the hotel rather, where that's just sort of flooded. There's lots of uh, infected down there and he's going to try to like, his way I, to I, Ellie. And again, this is Go also ahead. a yeah. classic video game trope here where you, you you separate the lead character from the rest of the group. You know, uh-huh. then the lead character's on their own and then you have to do some puzzle solving or some like, you know, fighting your way back to the character. And again, it's one of those things where like outside of normal games, you know when that happens. But this is so fluid with the way that they tell the story. You know, and like when Ian says skips a bunch of stuff, because this is the gameplay where, again, the level design is very smart, where essentially the entire time is you're trying to get from point A to point B and you just have obstacles that you have to navigate. And again, whether you choose to be stealthy, whether you choose to be a little bit more loud, whether you choose to like gather everything that you can and move forward, that's kind of the in-between parts where, of course, when you're playing it with a controller in your hand, like it's fun to navigate that. But for storytelling, you know, it's definitely just this idea of we're trying to like, Okay, now that we know that A to B is this kind of structure, what's going to happen when we get to B or some of the main points along the way? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so in working their way through this um, through this dilapidated hotel, Joel 
finally finds his way up into an, uh, an upper floor, you know, as he's looking for Ellie, but he himself is ambushed again by a hunter and they have this really like brutal scuffle where like Joel is almost drowned because like uh, this hunter is like pushing him down in the water. Joel is trying to reach for his gun, but he can't. And it's only in this last second where Ellie arrives, you know what? You actually don't know that it's Ellie right away, but she arrives and pulls Joel's gun out of the water and shoots the hunter saving him. And it's this moment of relief because you're like, Oh, thank God. Like without Ellie, you know, like, Joel would be fucking dead. And like, that's it. Like, that's the game. You know, like how is Ellie going to get to the fireflies? And, but, but what's kind of fucked up is that Joel is pissed at her for doing that. It's like, how could you fucking grab my gun and shoot this guy? Like you could have killed me from doing it. And it's like, Whoa, dude, like you could have some fucking gratitude. Like I, <laughs> yeah, I fucking saved your ass. And yeah, but so think Joel, about it though. Think about it though. Know. It's a loss of, it's like, look, even though we find out through the DLC and through other stuff that Ellie's kind of had some stuff going on before we meet her. But at this point in time, this is kind of like, you know, her loss of innocence. You know, it's not it's not somebody who's infected that she's yeah. had to take out. Like, yeah. this is like it's a real person. Her, yeah, we see her for the first time murder another human being. You know, and yes, it was out of like, you know, defense for Joel. And, you know, that's why context is important. Nobody's upset about the context. But Joel, I think in that moment, it's like. You know, it, I think he's also, he knows what the life was. He he once had a 14-year-old daughter. And just to look up at a 14-year-old and realize that we're now in a world where it's totally normal for you to grab a gun and shoot another person. You know, I think, again, <laughs> yeah. again, I think his sternness and his irritation has to do with his defense mechanisms and not wanting to get close or care. You know, not wanting to open up those wounds. So, as you can tell, he's still very guarded. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. But, you know, it's it's actually there actually is a little bit of reprieve in this moment. And I, I, I want to say a slight redemption or opening up on Joel's side, because soon after this, you know, they, they get their way out of the, to uh, out of the hotel, you know, night is starting to set on the city and they come across some more uh, hunters um, of course. And in an ambush, Joel tries to sneak down and kill some hunters, but before so He's like, okay, look, Ellie, you know, he, he levels with Ellie. He's like, okay, if, if we're going to survive, like I get it, you're capable. So is, you know, in order in an act of trust, basically Joel allows Ellie to use a rifle that they find to, to sort of cover his ass, you know, as he's down there killing other people and she can take, uh, you know, some sort of sniper shots off of people. And that's, this is, I think the, one of the first moments where, you know, it's not only Joel opening up, but he's willing to accept that Ellie is. I I don't want to say the potential sur surrogate daughter that he, that he needs, but she is a, she's an important person, and she's an important person to him, especially. Well, and that's also a survival. It's, it's such a it's a beautifully written survivalistic way of showing trust. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it, it's not just like you know, oh here, hold my wallet. No, it's just like I'm going to give you a gun and expect you to have my back. You know, and, and when it comes to survival and the elements, the harsh elements that we're in and the chaotic nature of the game, like, you know, in that moment, that is like one of the biggest symbols of trust, especially because it's like also to covering his back. So, I mean, you're, you know, you can even say physically speaking, when your back is to somebody, you're vulnerable, you know, oh, yeah. in that own regard. So, like, so it's emotional vulnerability that is it's translated into a physical survival context. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And. 
it's after then it's after this moment where we do come across another another really interesting relationship so uh, you know after after Joel allow, you know trusts in Ellie that that she can be there for him when he needs them you know they work their way through you know some more parts of the city they have this encounter with this uh you know, these hunters have captured this old military Humvee where they're going around just absolutely fucking ruthlessly killing anybody that they see. They live, they've got this LMG on the back of it where they're just shooting down other survivors. You know, they're just looking for food or, or anything to help them. I think I, I don't want to say that they're cannibals, but they're, I think they're probably more than willing to do that sort of thing. I mean, these people are fucking brutal and in Joel's and Ellie's, uh, trying to escape this, this Hunter Humvee, they meet these two characters, uh, Sam and Henry. Mm -hmm. And they are brothers. I believe Henry, Henry is definitely a little bit older. He's probably, you know, I don't know, 28, 29, maybe 30 years old. And Sam, his younger brother is, I mean, what do you think? He's probably a comparable age to Ellie Elise. He's probably, I would say that he's even, probably even, 13, maybe. 15. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Like he, he even looked maybe a year younger, maybe like 12 or 13, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Possibly. You're probably right. But they, but they have a really interesting relationship because, you know, they're definitely younger. Uh, well, you know, Henry is definitely younger than, than Joel. So he's not as, mm, you know, he's not as cynical as Joel is, you know, but he's still on the high alert, you know, to make sure that he keeps his brother safe and they end up wanting to help each other, you know, try to escape, you know, try to escape the city. And so they're like, okay, let's roll together. You know, Joel is obviously hesitant, but he's like, okay, well, these people seem like good people. Well, this and is also so another element of this game real quick. It's, it's the, it's, it's situational pressure and situational context that, that definitely. forces a sense of trust. You know, when you're in this, when they're both in this situation of benefiting each other, you know, enemy of my enemy is my friend, I think is what you yeah. kind of see. And they, and again, that's why like these hunters or bandits or whatever you want to call them, you know, these people that are out there like hunting that, that provides that stress, that, that level of, of again, for storytelling elements, that level of pressure that puts these two people that kind of forces a sense of, of commitment there. And as you can see, it may not hold too strong. So, Ian, I'll let you continue. For sure. And yeah, so, I mean, basically, you know, again, what's interesting about these about these two characters is that they have. I don't I don't want to say that that Henry has a kind of neat naivety to him, you know, but Joel has obviously suffered and struggled to survive for a lot longer. And Henry has this sort of. Wide eyed, you know, this, you know, picture of survival that they can do. Like he talks to, he tells them like, Hey, you know, we've got some buddies at this radio tower, like on the other side of, of uh, the river in Pittsburgh. Like if we can get there, like we can all, you know, help each other survive. We can get each other out of whatever tough spot that we're in. And so if you guys come with us, like we'll be able to make it happen. And, you know, Joel is obviously really cynical about it, but he agrees nonetheless to, to help him out and to go along. They do at one point, like get to these, well, okay. I should, I should say that like they try to escape the city and this, uh, this Humvee is coming after them. But for a moment, like Sam and Henry almost leave Joel and Ellie to die. And it's like, God damn it. Like, what the hell? Like, I thought you guys are going to be nice. And Joel and Ellie have to jump off the bridge into the water. And of course, this is another element too, that we, that we didn't bring up is that Ellie can't swim. And so 
with her jumping into the river, Joel is like, well, I'm not just going to let her die now. You know, like I've, I've sort of opened myself up to her a little bit. I'm starting to trust her. And so he dies after her to save her. And they sort of, you know, inadvertently get rescued by Sam and Henry uh, in the But you also can't, you also can't, like, the thing about that scene, too, I wrote down some notes on that scene because I thought it was very pivotal, again, for these these snapshots of this, this storytelling of who Ellie is as a character, where it's like, you know, you know, you learn early on in the game that you can't swim and they're trapped, you know, mm-hmm. they, they either, they either basically stay and, and get killed by the hunters or they risk it and they jump. And even though she can't swim, the fact that she takes the courage and she takes a leap, a leap of faith, yeah. one could say, you know, so here is a physical res- representation of putting pressure on them with the chaotic environment that they've built. And she not only takes a leap to show her courage and show like her inaptitude to survive, but also, you know, trusting in Joel the same way that Joel trusted in her. You know, the fact that Joel gave her a rifle and said, have my back. And the fact that she jumped knowing that she can't swim, hoping that Joel would have her back just the same way that. So there that was her turn now to 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 do the 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 vulnerable act as Joel had done before. And so now you are starting to build the bond between both of them. That jump is very pivotal in their relationship building. Yeah, that's actually great. You know, I never I actually never really thought about it that way. So that's a really that's a really good insight into their into their blooming relationship. I mean, it just shows yeah, it does just show like their willingness to like you know, it's it's a sort of payback, right? Like where you know, Joel, he, you know, he's willing to trust her for a moment. And she's like, okay, like this guy, if he trusted me, like he's sort of the only dude I've got mm-hmm. right now. So like, I'm going to show, I'm going to show him the favor and do the same thing. And that definitely puts them on a path to having a much better relationship. But after, you know, after these, you know, short few events, you know, they, they are rescued by Sam and Henry, Joel, is definitely not happy about <laughs> Henry leaving them to the, to the Humvees. But, you know, even, even Henry is like, Hey, look, dude, I, I saved you guys and I knew you guys would, would make it out alive. And so they make their way through these, um, uh, you know, through these sewers and try to escape. It, it's actually interesting. In fact, they, they get separated again, where Joel has to take Sam with him and Henry has to go with Ellie. So there's that different dynamic that you get to learn a little bit more about these other characters. Just the fact that you're forced to have to be with them. Um, But in the end they get out, they get on the other side of the river. They make their way through this other little part of town where you have some cool little bits of, of survival sort of scrounging, you know, there are these wild dogs that you're feral dogs rather that you encounter. It's like, whoa, like that's sort of weird to see. And, um, but at the end of this, at you know, sort of the end of their moments together, there is this brief skirmish of hunters sort of putting the pressure down on all four of them, trying to, you know, take them out. They realize that the Humvee is wanting to come in and, and they found them again somehow. And after, surviving these you know several waves of hunter you know like even as plain as joel you have to get up into this building there's this fucking sniper you know it's like pretty fucking deadly and you have to you have to help uh sam henry and and ellie to survive after all this after all the commotion infected arrive and so it is this big skirmish to try and escape and leave and you know and, and eventually you get to this point where 
you find, you know, after escaping, you find where uh, Sam and Henry's, their friends are supposed to be. It's like, like this radio tower or something like that. And it ends up being where nobody's there. You know, you know, they don't, you know, they don't really know whether their friends are coming there or not, or if they didn't survive at all. But the, you know, the fact of the matter is, is like, they have to come together and, and they realize that like they survived through a lot of shit. And so this is definitely a moment to, to sort of rest, but also to realize like there's a long road ahead of them. And this, you know, and I want to throw this over to you, Josh, here, here in just a moment. This is the moment, another big, big moment where you realize after everything that the game can throw at you to show that there is some kind of hope in making it out all right or in, you know, maybe giving some semblance of like, you know what, like this game, maybe it'll have a happy ending. Maybe we'll, there'll be some good out of all the struggle. It just fucking rips the rug right out from under you. (laughs) And so I actually, I want to throw this over to you and maybe you can sort of explain what happened because I've been talking for a bit. Um, Because this, this was an absolutely devastating uh, few minutes here. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so I think what you're really getting at, this is kind of more of a dramatization or or, or an exaggeration of of kind of what we deal with in, in our everyday life. This sense of, you know, we we take two steps forward and one step back and it's we get hopeful about things and those hopes get either crushed or tarnished and then we kind of push back, but we keep moving forward. And that's the goal. So this game. Yes. So you have this underlying hope with Ellie learning that she's immune to the disease. And learning that Joel is kind of taking her to possibly get a cure. So there is that underlying hope that every encounter that you both survive is one step closer to possibly getting a vaccine to curing this whole thing. However, again, just kind of like, you know, we've learned through tests and storytelling that some characters come in and they're not there for very long, as as we've seen in survival aspects of it. So there is this scene after all of what Ian had just described. There's this scene before they kind of wind down for the evening as they find a safe place to, to bunker in where, you know, I think it's it's Sam and, and Ellie are talking and, mm-hmm. you know, Sam is just kind of like you can tell. And again, just like they did with Tess, where Tess was how do you say this more sporadic than she, than she was when we introduced her about like, you have to take Ellie now, you know, you see that Sam is more kind of reserved and, and, and almost, uh, almost getting philosophical in a way where I believe essentially he talks to Ellie and he essentially, he's worried that, that when you turn, that you remain conscious, you just don't have control of your body. Like you have a sense of awareness of what you're doing. And he's worried about that. And he talks about the implications of what it's like to turn. And Ellie just goes like, oh, you have nothing to worry about. Like, there's no, they're gone. They're gone. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and even at that moment, you're like, what is going on here? You know, you can, and again, because you know this game, you don't quite, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. But you do know that, like, there's something in the works here. And I don't like it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a good feeling about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> One way or another. Yeah. So, so essentially the scene is like, they wake up the next morning and, and then basically you see that like Henry's making breakfast and Joel's like cleaning a gun or something. And then, you know, they send Ellie to go wake up Sam. And when she, Ellie goes in to wake up Sam, uh, you learn through like this, that Sam was infected and he had actually turned in the, in the evening time, in the night time. And, you yeah. know, 
And it's so like, it's beautifully done the way that it's kind of shot in the sense too, because what you see is like Ellie bursts out of the room with Sam, like on her. And then all of a sudden you see Joel, like kind of, you know, go for his gun. And then Henry pulls the gun on Joel and says, you know, you don't shoot him. He's my brother. And it, it just, it, again, it just went from zero to midnight. And now we're in this tense standoff. And then you see Henry pull the trigger. And again, with the camera angles, you don't know who he shot. And so you're saying like, what? And then like when it cuts over, you realize that he has now shot his own infected brother. And, you know, and again, you're just like, oh, oh, (laughs) you know, everybody, everybody calm, everybody calm. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, and then he starts blaming Joel and he's like, this is your fault. Like, and I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, here we go. This is your fault. And, of course, like, you're going to get defensive. Like, what do you, how do you just compartmentalize what you do that? And then, you know, without skipping a beat, Henry just puts the gun to his own head and he pulls the trigger. And it is wild. Yeah. And, and just like that, they ripped it right underneath you. <laughs> right. And then they just cut to black and then it goes to fall. It's just, again, it's, you know, like everything that Josh was just describing here, it's just like, Jesus, like it's just everything, you know, it's funny, like this game, it's, it's not a super, it's not a terribly long game, but the pacing in it is absolutely brilliant because you feel like you spend a really a good amount of time with these characters. And yet the way the, the pace in which things happen are so quick, like the way shit turns around, you're like, Whoa, that got bad really fast. Like I, I was like getting, I was starting to like these characters and now they're just fucking dead. Um, so listen with that, you know, we've been, we've been going about 90 minutes. Um, this is again, this is a gigantic episode. So I think, so what Josh and I are going to do, we're going to take a break Mm-hmm. And when we come back from the break, we're going to try and we're going to get through the rest of the game. And again, we really hope that you bear with us here. Um, I think Josh, we were talking before we recorded, we're probably not going to do a read watch play at the end of these episodes, just because of the, uh, just because Life, of the work yeah. that's going into these episodes. So I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break and we come back We're we're going to finish up with the game and um it'll be just even more depressing so uh, <laughs> that sounds so, like a um, we'll see you after the break yeah. all right we'll be back okay everyone welcome back from the proverbial break yeah so um josh you know before before we went on the break you know we ended on some some heartache, some some troublesome news on the death of Sam and Henry. Oh, you mean the and, you mean the, the 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 heartache that you made me recite for near the end there <laughs> before you had to get your two cents in before I went on a break. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You sure. know, and if and Josh, of course, is the most sensitive human being uh, on earth, so he obviously had trouble getting through it. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love how you. I love how I'm you sorry, have to make, to make myself laugh. Yeah, and then it. awkwardly laugh yeah. to make sure that I don't hate you because you can't see my face. Like, <laughs> this is not an NBS news. You know, you can't see my face. Like, <laughs> yeah, or your hands because I know you're giving me both birds. Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> see, uh, see what I did there. So anyway, you know, as you know, Josh and I, we we talked about doing this episode. I'm sorry for the preamble here, but you know, there was a lot working up to this episode because. Uh, as both people know, uh, well, both people, as our listeners know, um, the last of us games are pretty extensive as far as narrative and gameplay. And so, um, Josh, I think you'll agree with me that our first half here, I mean, we spent about probably a hundred minutes going through the little minute details of 
the first half, well, roughly the first half of, of the first game. And I don't want to say that we're not going to spend some time working on some of the specific narrative and gameplay details, but I do think these next few sections, next few fe- seasons rather within the game, because um, we're going to be talking about the, the winter and spring season of the game as we move into the, the end game here. Um, they go a little bit quicker. So, you know, hopefully we don't spend as much time, but obviously we'll take the time that we need. Um, and Josh, I, I guess, um, I'll throw it over to you as we sort of get ramped back up here. Um, you know, that last little bit had quite the emotional impact. I think you would agree with me. And it's such an interesting turn here because as, as both of those characters die off, we cut to this sort of, I don't want to say bleak winter you know but we that we but it's definitely it's definitely a harder turn right and Um, i and i think too you know i think it's important to i guess too actually i'm sorry real quick before we do that i will just say like after we talked about um i i i actually am missing something here is i i don't want to skip over it we do move into fall after we cut to um after we cut from Sam and Henry. So we'll spend just a few moments talking about that. Uh, so I just wanted to reiterate, we'll spend a few minutes talking about that, but mainly talk about winter and spring. So, sure. Anyway, and, go ahead. And, and just to clarify anybody listening right now that, that is interested in the game, but doesn't quite know it and has gone along with us this far, like how the gameplay is, is <laughs> told through storyline is through seasons. You know, the different seasons they mm-hmm. enter in is almost like the next chapters of the game. So for those that are following along that don't know the game, that's kind of what Ian was meaning. And I think, yeah. I think too, it's like, you know, the only thing I was going to say, you know, before I was really interrupted by whatever it is that you just said, cause I wasn't listening. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But what I was going to say was it's kind of like a snowball rolling downhill, you know, where it's like the, the meat of understanding these characters of what we digested in the first half of the game really just starts to go. And then you just start to see as the stakes get raised and things get higher, you actually see the progression or the heartbeat of the story increase as well, you know, which also kind of you know, connects back to this, this idea of like the next few chapters move a little quicker than the beginning ones do, but definitely, they definitely do. Yeah. But I will say, so I, I feel like it's interesting because after that traumatic thing happens, you know, you have Joel finally meeting up with his brother, Tommy, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the next thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what's interesting about that too, is like, this is when you kind of see the first element of, of, you know, J- Joel's, he really lets the wall down at the end of kind of this cutscene because he starts at, and initially you see him trying to pawn off delivering Ellie, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, by, by, you know, trying to get Tommy to do this and explaining the significance of this. And, and this is kind of like, I don't know, Ian, as, as somebody, I guess you, you and I talked about this a little bit off mic where, you know, my perspective is, is, is decent for storytelling, but at the same time, I didn't play the game. You know what I mean? Like you have controller in hand, first experience with this game. So what did you feel or what do you think the significance was for the storytelling elements to kind of build up to what they have built up to have this moment of like watching Joel try to like pass the torch along, you know, when you know yeah. that that's kind of like the crux or flow of the game. Yeah, it is interesting because, you know, for, you know, for the majority of the game thus far, you know, you're carrying early with you. You are definitely starting to um, grow a, a relationship and a bond between uh, between these two characters and you know when you get to after they after Sam and Henry die and you get to you get to Tommy i think what's really interesting here is the work of them as siblings so josh you know josh has siblings uh, i have siblings and i think 
what's really what they do really well here is how siblings, despite their differences, can come together in certain aspects, but also show, you know, constant tension. You know, so I have a I have a younger brother, and him and I are, you know, we don't hate each other, but growing up we've constantly I don't want to say been at each other's throats, but like any any siblings who've grown up in close proximity to one another, there's always some kind of level of you know, there's camaraderie, but there's also antagonism. Like right? uh butting heads, as, as they say. Yeah. Yeah, yes, as as some say. Um, and as me being the oldest uh, sibling, my brother being a few years older than me, I think in in this context between Joel and Tommy, you know, after all the shit. Hold that on, hold on, Joel... hold on, hold on. You're literally like my brother being younger than me and him being several years older than me. <laughs> you cracked me up. Oh, did I say that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah mistakenly. Um, if I did say that, yeah, my brother, my brother is uh, three years younger than me. There you are. Uh, yeah. And uh, so in, in this regard, you know, after the shit that Joel has been through, not only his entire life, um, you know, post uh, his daughter, Sarah dying, but then also now with Ellie, when he gets to Tommy, it's like there's this feeling of relief, right? Because you like he finds his brother who he, he had no idea was here, right? So it's like, oh, thank God, like my younger brother is still alive. Even though, as we sort of find out, they they um, the last time they've seen each other was off on a bad on a bad ending because apparently uh, Tommy was part of the Fireflies, and so Joel obviously has some type of contention and disagreement about the Fireflies' general overall philosophy. Um, and so when he comes to Tommy, he's like, Oh God, my younger brother's alive. There's relief. Right. So like we can have this bonding moment, but even still, you know, he gets to this point. It's like, look, I I've been doing this shit way too long. I'm kind of sick of this. I don't want to be a babysitter anymore. Even though like he's starting to really appreciate Ellie, you know, you get to this point where like you're almost with Joel at this point because you've been playing along the same amount of time realistically that, that the character has. So you're like, yeah, sure. you know, I could, I could, I could dump off Ellie. Like, you know, she's a cool character, but like, have I completely bonded with her yet? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. And so you See, sort that's of an interesting approach. feel the and, same thing a little bit. I'm only going to jump in here because I, I kind of want to comment on this and kind of have you expand on this because it's like when I sure. was watching through the game and I got to this point. So for me, like you conceptualize and kind of understand a the storytelling elements, but b how they reflect back to gameplay and what it is that you are supposed to do. So having Joel be set up to this position of taking the quest to to deliver Ellie, like that has been the crux of the storytelling element of why you play as Joel. You know, as you're moving through, you know, the different aspects of it. So when we got to this moment, you know, there was a part of me that thought like are they going to make a gameplay switch here? Like, is there going to be some sort of story? Oh, sure. like, so I thought like, yeah. uh, you know, are you going to start, are we going to play as Tommy now? It's like, that's what this is going to be. Or like, are, are they going to make, you know, Ellie go solo? Like, or are they going to remedy this? You know, you have these thoughts that, that connect with the story based on what, you know, the gameplay to be. So, you know, right. for me, there was that moment of surprise and shock when things do switch, but that switch or that that kind of reestablishment of normal with the gameplay also made sense to me for like the progression of the storyline and aspects of of how stories are told when you have kind of a interaction with them via a controller, you know, or a keyboard and mouse to navigate the story. Yeah, definitely. No, there's definitely a different feel to it. But, you know, I do I do th- say here that um, 
Ellie, within the, the the overall narrative here, finds out pretty quickly Joel's intent, right, to sort of pawn her off. Uh, well, let's kind of like connect Tommy. here. If we're gonna tell, the, if we're gonna tell the full story, so it's like the full story is when when Joel finds Tommy. You know, it kind of progresses a little bit with their with their kind of reunion, but then they're they're confronted by a group of bandits. You know, yeah, and definitely. and when they when they when Joel and Tommy and everybody fight off these bandits, Tommy finally agrees that he's going to take Ellie. And so Joel, you know, you, you start to see in the storyline that Joel's got this like weird sense of relief, but also hesitation. And and Tommy's agreed to do this. And then when they go back, you know, Joel kind of finds out that Tommy has established this community, you know, and 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 is trying to instill this sense of normalcy or this sense of like you know, order within the chaos that they live in. Initially when, when Joel arrives there, he's like, Hey, look, Tommy, we got to talk. Like, I don't want this kid. Tommy's like, no, dude, I'm not taking on your problems. Like just because we're brothers, you know, we're not going to do this shit. But the fact, the, the way in which Joel is dedicated enough to fight off, um, all the bandits that do come, you know, cause right. Cause at this moment, right. They're at the hydroelectric dam outside of the city, outside of, uh, Jackson. And, in this, you know, because of Joel's dedication to protecting not only his brother, but trying to help them, you know, do what they need to do and then and risk his life for. For Illy, I think that's when Tommy to me, that's even if he does have a child, I think that's the moment when Tommy realizes like, fuck, like Joel is I mean, he's going to he's going to do this shit. He's willing to protect even me, whom we left off on really, really bad circumstances. And the reason I think also, too, should be pointed out why uh, Joel wants to throw Ellie off to Tommy is because he used to be part of the the Fireflies. And, you know, so he would know where they were going. And so, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to say for certain whether or not Tommy has a kid. If you think he does and I I believe you, I'm I don't know. Um, but I do think that it's in that moment after seeing what Joel is willing to do to protect Ellie and to protect them. He's like, okay, shit. Like I should trust my brother. Tommy was, was married. And so like, there's this element of him creating a sense of normalcy and Joel, not wanting like Joel noticing that, or like, you know, you know, not wanting to disturb what his brother had kind of created, but also his, his like compassion for Ellie because as you were going to mention before I kind of filled in the timeline here we talked about how Ellie found out yes that you know that that Joel didn't want to take her and the you can see how upset she was you well, know sure. in that scene yeah. you know that they had like you know Ian I know that's what you're going to talk about but that scene you know really did solidify this this bond that you that you felt that they were building but you you know like you said sometimes you're not sure but her being so upset was like that definitive moment of like okay she is you know she obviously cares and now we need to see what if Joel cares or not yeah definitely and i think you know obviously Joel at, at this point you know bef um before Ellie runs off you know unbeknownst to him he has this budding care uh, for Ellie in a, in a deep, in a deep way. And, you know, when she, as we said, when she finds out that Joel is planning to dump her off of Tommy and he can go back to his old life, you know, she's obviously, you know, she's obviously upset, disappointed probably is a really big one because she is starting to care for Joel quite a bit. You know, he's been there for her through all this shit, you know, obviously helping her out, you know, help and, and helping her survive. And well, correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. And now I'm not so sure about my own like memory recall. <laughs> but 
during their conversation, you know, they even went as blatant as described where I think Ellie has like a, a lashback and says, you're not my father, you know, and Joel right. just goes, you're well, right. I'm not. Yeah. Let's you know, get in. And, let's and, get into that scene actually, because, okay. So, so Ellie does run off. She takes one of the horses uh, that's at the, um, that's at the hydroelectric dam. And so she runs off basically into the woods and Joel and Tommy have to track her down. They kill some hunters along the way, uh, but eventually they find this old, like abandoned ranch uh, style house, uh, you know, at the end of the, not the end of the forest, but somewhere within the forest, like on a ranch. And, they get in there. Joel is obviously, I mean, he's fucking worried, you know, and it's funny because as they're going through, he's just, he's pissed. He's pissed at Ellie, but I think he's pissed off more at himself because he's like, God damn it. Like, how could I let this girl who is so important get away? Right. And right, so as they right. get to this, at the, as they get to this ranch house, you know, he sort of searches, searches through the house and it turns out it's actually pretty in pristine condition, which is surprising. It almost makes me mm-hmm. think that like somebody was living there still really recently. And then they had, you know, just recently either died or moved out or something. But, you know, he finds her upstairs and she's like, you know, I guess she says like, Hey, I'm up here. And he's like, Oh, okay. And once they get up there, they have this pretty like heavy heart to heart where, you know, Joel is obviously pissed. He's like, you can't just fucking run off like that. You're way too important to the world. And, you know, he basically says, you know, important to me without saying it. And, you know, she's like, I, you know, like, I can't believe, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but I, I can't believe that you would just want to pawn me off to even your brother, because like, you've been the only person who has, hasn't abandoned me like at all. Right. And like, that's just, that fucking sucks for you to do that. And I, I think she says something along the lines like, you know, just because you are this sort of guardian and parental figure to me, like you're not my dad. And I know you fucked up with Sarah, which is like obviously a, a rough spot for Joel, right? To even bring up his dead daughter. And, right. you know, that's the retort that you're sort of talking about, you know, that he's like, you're right. I'm not your dad. And I, I can't tell you what to do, but because I'm not your dad, like we're, we're going our separate ways. Like I don't have any ties to you. And it's just like, Oh Jesus. Like, really? Like it, it it sucks. Especially, you know, the, on your, you know, your first playthrough, it's, it's, it's not as rough. I think on the, on the later playthroughs, as you go through and you see that scene play over and over again, I've seen, I've seen that scene quite a few times. I'm like, Oh, Joel, man, like you don't know what you're about to give up or at least, you know, what is perceived about to be given up. And I don't know if you have any other, you know, things about the scene, but it's definitely in these next few moments when Joel comes to the realization that he can't give her up. Right. And I, I, I think with this scene, it just really is, you know, from a storytelling context, from the the interpretation of the character's motivations and, and what Joel and Ellie are both trying to achieve or what we as an audience member, you know, or a player of the story is is starting to sense is that like, you know, the things that we're going to learn that are motivated down the road, like this is the staple moment of, of building the true understanding because any, every time before this, you know, we started to assume that there was this parental kind of relationship going on because they made it obvious kind of in the storytelling, but you, you, there's always a sense of doubt when you don't directly say it in this moment, they're directly making the tie, you know, of a, of a father and daughter bond. Right. You know, and and that is what's going to kind of be the shadow that propels 
the future endeavors of these characters in the story. Absolutely. And it is really soon after they have this conversation that more hunters show up, of course, you know, because they've been, I think they're really trying to get (laughs) into uh, the hydroelectric dam that, you know, with Tommy's town and and get into Jackson in general, because they really have it out for them. And of of course you're put into the situation where you got to defend off Ellie and, and Tommy in a, in this cool sort of uh, uh, stealth scene. But after they fight their way through all these hunters and they, you know, they sort of ride back to Jackson. You see actually how big the city is um, at, at one point, which is really nice on their horses. Joel, after realizing like, you know, he was about to pawn off Ellie and they just fought again. You know, he, I mean, because it, really, if he didn't care for her at all, why would he even ride after her in the first place when she, you know, tried to run off on her own? I think right. that obviously as you know, there's some underlying uh, parental feelings there as we're alluding to. And so when they do get back to Jackson, he's like, you know what, Ellie, give your horse uh, back to Tommy. We're going to, we're going to go off on our own. We're going to find the fireflies together. And that's when we, you know, again, before we, we end here, I'll, I'll get any of your other thoughts here, but that's when we learned from Tommy that the fireflies are um, heading off to the university of Eastern Colorado, or that's at least the last place that Tommy knew where they were going. Okay, and Joel doesn't. <laughs> Josh doesn't have anything for me. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I was like, I, I was going to say, like, yeah, they're going to Colorado. I mean, I kind of made my piece, but this is just a a, right, yeah. a finer. Ex- well, I guess okay. The only thing I'll say is that like they they did a clever job in the storytelling here because what you've what you notice is you notice that the way to to solidify that we think that this is a father daughter bond is by is by causing conflict or rift in that in that in that bond you know and what we find out is a lot of people even in theater like what people love to see is people love to see conflict you know and then we feel good about the re- the resolution of that conflict oh, big time. you know so for this is we have like the a conflict which is you know the the spores that are causing people to become zombified and how this person you know this girl is immune that could possibly save the the human race there's your there's your a kind of bond or riff or story that's as moving it forward but on the b level you know the secondary emotional connection with this father daughter bond they're able to play with that a little bit and so when they start to cause the rift you're thinking oh i don't know and then that moment that joel goes like i'm taking her and you see like ellie get this smile on her face and and pop up or whatever and that that mod that moment where joel finally makes the decision to see this through they have quickly and effectively solidified that bond to create a sense of camaraderie and, and, and understanding. And the bond that's created between the characters is, is also created with the player where moving forward, you know, we now understand the, 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 the volume of the race stakes of what Ellie means. And also the volume and the race stakes of how emotionally that Joel is connected to Ellie and Ellie is connected back to Joel. Right. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's so important in this last little bit of a fall time, like why their relationship is, has become so important. So I guess I'll just jump into it. They do eventually get to the university of Eastern Colorado and they find the school there. They find the science center where the, um, where the fireflies are still supposed to have been. And similarly with anything else, they realize that it is, uh, 
been abandoned. Um, there is a fun little moment where there are some like loose monkeys running around the campus, like causing a bunch of trouble. It's very strange, actually, like as far as the pacing of the game, because you get in there, uh, you're on a horseback and you're sort of trying to find your way to the science building. And there are these fucking monkeys running around. And it's like you you think that something bad is going to happen, but nothing really does, at least not until uh, the end of this season. And. But, you, you know, you eventually you do get to the, the science building, realizing that they're all abandoned. And because of some of their recordings that they've left on these little voice recorders, I don't know what you know you would call them, tape recorders, something. You realize that they've almost given up all hope to finding a cure. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, oh, Jesus Christ, like this is more dire you know, than maybe we thought. And And that's also like a really good element of, of, of splashing and environmental storytelling. Oh yeah. You know, like having, having you as a player navigate the map of the world and, and, and find (laughs) these tape recorders left over. And, you know, it's kind of a neat kind of throwback because even in a post-apocalyptic world, it would make sense that these tape recorders would exist. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, like, so, so it's, it was a clever way of adding a, you know, further enrichment of the storytelling through the environment. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even, but, but, you know, you do have this almost, you know, we've used this metaphor a few times, I think on this episode, you do have this sort of rug pulled out from underneath you where you realize that the last of the fireflies here are dead and that they've Mm -hmm. virtually given up hope and finding a cure from what we can understand. And it's just like, Oh Jesus Christ. Like, what are they going to go from here? And it's, it's, it's in this last little section here where, Hunters, again, you know, as this sort of persistent threat like the infected, um, which I didn't mention, like there are some pretty good infected fights in here where there's like you have to go through these dorms and like it's completely filled with spores and you're separated from Ellie and it's kind of fucked up. Like it's actually one of the harder sections in the game, if I remember correctly, I'm just trying to get through. But regardless, you do have, you know, intermixing of infecting uh, infected and hunters to deal with. But in this last moment, hunters show up and you have this uh sort of last little fight here and it there is one little section here where joel is ambushed by hunter after they think they've killed them all and they're both flung from a uh, balcony basically it's like so it's like one of those you know you go to a fancy college and they've got like these glass balconies for some reason because they're super safe and you know, like they're in this, they're in this brawl. You know, Joel and this hunter, and they f- get flung over the balcony and break the glass and metal. And Joel is impaled by like this. It's like a piece of rebar or something that's sticking up, some piece of metal, right? right and right. he gets impaled by it. And it's like, oh shit! It almost feels like, okay, is this get about to get real right now? Like, what the fuck is going to happen? Yeah. And, you know, Ellie gets down there, you know, there's like, there's hunters closing in. And so she has to get Joel up, but he's like, I mean, he is struggling hardcore and you're playing as Joel right now at where you're having to let Ellie, you know, virtually protect you. And you, I mean, the character itself, you know, he, he's stumbling around. It's sort of hard to to control. You're like trying to get through doors and over uh, little ledges. And that's even hard. You know, I think there's one moment where, a hunter is coming around a corner. You're supposed to take shots at him as Ellie sort of flanks him. But the, um, the aiming on it is so off that you're almost guaranteed not to hit him. And it's, it's, it's very stressful. Cause you're like, Jesus Christ, like, 
again, it's like you're going through your mind, like what's going to happen? Like these characters, I feel like in, you know, in the last section with, with Tommy felt like they really came together. Are they about to be lost? Right. And it's, a, you know, it's, it's sort of in this last little bit where they eventually escape from the hunters, but, and they get back up on their horse to try and escape. And Joel falls off the horse. And that's like the last you see of him. And it cuts to winter. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know if you have anything else before we move into this next, this next season, but when it cuts to black and then re reopens on Ellie, you're like, fuck, Joel is gone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I can turn it back over to you if you want, but it's just like, whoa. No, to be fair, there's really nothing yeah. like, I feel like that trend, see, like you said, it starts to speed up. It's like the snow snowball rolling down the hill. We're like, it's slow to build. Yeah. Now we're kind of building. And I feel like with fall, like it's boom, boom, boom. Like it's pretty cut, clear and dry. Mm-hmm. And, and it ends with this mystery of, of not knowing the fate of Joel. Right. And like in, and really believing that he's gone. And then like, I think, it, I think if, if I remember correctly, it kind of opens in winter and like you, you're as Ellie and you're like hunting a rabbit and you're yeah. like, what is this? Yeah. It's, you know, ca- why, why, it's like, like um... why am I just hunting for food? Yeah. You're like, is she, why is she not upset? Is she okay? Like how much time has passed? Right. You know, yeah. like you have all these questions. That's the, yeah. So. That's actually another, that's another big interesting thing here is because like, okay, you you go from fall to winter, right? That's like, that's a few months. So like how long, right. like has, is, has Ellie been on her own for like three or four months? It's like how, you know, right. how has she been doing now? Of course, there's obviously some of this is filled in with the left behind DLC. As we talked about earlier on in this episode, we intermixed um, some details about Ellie's past in her uh, relationship with Riley. But along that playthrough, you also get these, uh, I guess not flash forwards, but like present day where you're playing as Ellie and it is in between this fall and winter. I mean, it's still technically in the winter, but you're in between this period where you're seemingly trying to uh, help Joel and you don't know if he's exactly dead or not. But in this, you realize that, you know, it's wintertime. Ellie seems like she's surviving on her own. And I think it's, yeah, after she kills the rabbit, she tries to get back to some little town. Am I right? And you realize yeah. that Joel is, you know, he's bedridden. You know, he's just sleeping on the ground. No, I think she find a she found a mattress for him. I think if yeah, in some garage or something. And I mean, he is deathly ill. And it's one of those things. It's like okay, he's alive, but I'm you know you're obviously worried because you're like I've been playing as Joel this whole time. I've had this bond with this character. Like, are they really just going to kill him off? Like you're, 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 so you're invested and now you're worried about this character. And it's in these next few moments where Ellie sort of out, out of desperation, she tries to get medicine. And this is where I think the game gets really interesting is because I think this is the, one of the moments that is the, the most desperate that Ellie has been. And she also, because she's on her own has to try and implement the, the survival techniques and teachings that Joel has attempted to instill in her. Right. Um, okay. Thank you for your insight. Um, but you know, after, <laughs> sorry, I guess I do a lot of that too. After you talk a lot, I'm just like, uh-huh, you're right. Uh-huh. Let's go. Um, but you know, so, Joel, or sorry, Joel, Joel is sick, but, but Ellie, she needs to try and find something to, to keep him alive. Right. So she goes off. I think she's looking for a deer 
Oh no, I guess I'm sorry. I'm getting my, my timelines mixed up. So when she looks for the rabbit, she, she finds a deer, right? And this is before you realize Joel is alive um, and right. sick. And she, she ends up chasing after a deer and she comes to meet these, a couple of characters, uh, David and James. And David mm-hmm. is this very, God, how, how would you put, how would you classify David? To me, he seems like a bit of a, snake oil salesman like he you know he's he's confident he's you know he's sort of suave but there's something like gritty underneath him i don't know what do you what do you think of this character before we realize exactly who he is right that's fair i mean i guess when i first was introduced to him i i I, snake oil salesman i don't know if i would like make that exact (laughs) metaphor but i guess like but I guess more of like, uh, I don't know, like an evil Willy Wonka. <laughs> you know, like, he does sort of, sort of have the uh, um, the voice for sure. <laughs> right. But, but not only that, just not there's a voice, but it's like, you know, it's just the interaction is just interesting. It's almost like it's like, you know, he's basically trying to say that, like, I've got a golden ticket for you, you know, and you're like, what are you ta- what are you talking about? You know, like, what are you you know? And he's just so I don't know. He's like, I've got the medicine. I guess the. <laughs> Right, but I guess the best. Okay, how about this? The best way that I can say it is is it's, it's almost too calculated. Oh, sure. And there's a nervousness yeah. in the calculation of the, of what he says and how he speaks that you're like, you know, for me, I don't, I didn't think he was skeezy, but at the same time, I'm like, you're probably not going to be good. Definitely, <laughs> definitely know, like, not. Or I, or or I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if you right weren't. because you know when they when David and Ellie especially first uh, come into contact with each other you know she 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 has uh, a rifle and so she sort of has an upper hand whereas david and james just have like small handguns or something and she's like oh, no you're gonna turn over your guns to me you know she definitely is um flexing her survival skills she's like mm, nope i'm not gonna i'm not gonna let you you know hang out with me if you if you're armed and you know because david promises like hey look we got medicine if we can have some of your deer she's like i don't care about the deer just give me medicine um, like antibiotics mm. basically. And he's like, okay, okay. I'm going to send James away to go get the medicine. And I'll hang out here with you to just make sure you don't take off my deer or something like that. She's like, okay, cool. I'll watch you. Um, and she's like very, she's very well kept and she doesn't let her guard down. She's like, no, I'm fucking watching you fucker. <laughs> and, uh, but while James is gone, um, again, this is before we realize that, that Joel is even, uh, alive, but you know, it's sort of assumed that because, uh, Ellie wants medicine that like she's taking care of somebody implied to be Joel. And while they are preoccupied with watching the deer while James is away, there is a horde of infected that comes in to deal with him. And when we were talking about <laughs> David's sleaziness, it's in this moment where we realize that David was holding a gun hidden on him all along, right? Because like they mm-hmm. fight, you know, they're trying to fight off the infected, and he's like, "Come on, give me a gun." She's like, "Fuck no!" Like I'm not giving you that shit. And so he pulls one out anyway, and she's like, "You know what the fuck, man? Like why didn't you tell me?" He's like, "Well, you didn't ask <laughs> if I was hiding anything mm-hmm. else, you know." And it's like, okay, Jesus. But they they eventually, you know, they survive. But when they come back to the deer. You know, they they're I don't want to say they're having a heart to heart, but they're definitely getting a little bit more, you know, close to one another. They you know, they just survived like a big, you know, horde attack. And it's when, you know, David is saying it's like, you know, my my men and I, you know, we've been sort of through hell and back uh, trying to survive this winter. We could really use people like you and and whoever you care for. It definitely sounds like you care for this person uh, quite a bit. And she's like, oh, no, I don't really 
I don't want to really be part of your group. I just want to get back to, to Joel basically. And he's like, you know, it's interesting. Like I heard stories about this girl, you know, on the run, like basically because he had a bunch of his men killed. It turns out his men, a bunch of his men were killed at the, at the university of Eastern Colorado. And he's telling to her, he's like, you know, there was this little girl and some crazy man who killed everybody and they're all the and they're on the run and it's in this like little section here where james comes up on her uh, behind ellie with a gun pointed at her and you know dave is like hey you can put the gun down and obviously ellie is freaked out by this and she hmm. demands the medicine and sort of books it right trying to get out of there and i think right. it's in this little bit where she's sort of chased down by david's men right like she she finally gets back to Joel. We realize that we were, as we were talking about before that Joel's alive. Thank God. And so she's like, okay, she gives him a little bit of shot of medicine, penicillin, whatever, whatever she's got something to help her out, help him out. And in order to make sure that Joel survive survives, rather she, she realizes David's men and the hunters are sort of there after her. So she leads him away. And, you know, I, I want, I want your take on this because she, as you know, again, as as we've been talking about, we've been playing as Ellie now, and it's been, it's definitely been a bit of a different uh, pace here when it comes to the differences between Joel and Ellie. And I think it's here where we realize how I don't want to say sinister, but how capable Ellie is, because when she's trying to lead away David's men away from away from Joel and like she goes into like this little uh, like mountain lake town sort of resort, almost like these lodges, I think. And she kills like a lot of fucking people like, and you know, pretty brutally, I gotta say, you know, and Ellie's obviously it relies on the player, but I mean, Ellie's pretty quick with a gun and it's pretty resourceful. And so I wanted to get your take on it. Like the lengths that, that Ellie is willing to go after all the shit that she's been through with Joel. I mean, it seems okay. So I guess in, in the natural elements of storytelling, it's so again, you have to understand the height, the context of the reality that they live in. And this heightened sense of survival and the ability to, you have to, it's either sink or swim, you know? And I feel like the, there's elements of that that have been implemented. Like, for example, what did we talk about in the beginning, all the way back to the prologue or to the, you know, back to the yeah. prologue where you, you, you see, you know, this pregnant lady, you know, and, and the, and the dad and they're like, Oh, we should have stopped for that. And, you know, you have like, no, we're not going to stop for that. You know, even in that moment, even in the the beginning of this, you 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 sense that debate of what is morally right versus what is best for your own survival. And I think in this element, I don't think I was surprised at all because you know, for example, Ellie has survived already to this point, which I believe it would be significantly more difficult for children to survive. Yeah, than this. no kidding. You know, let <clears throat> yeah, let alone adults. But like. Seeing what Joe or Joe, <laughs> see, this is what I'm saying. Seeing what, what Joe, Joe's a friend of mine. So seeing what Joel has done, you know, and, and accepting that as playing through him and being like, oh, this is what you got to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, I feel like you already have this mind frame in this context of, of what this world's going to be like. So when you see Ellie do this for me, it wasn't as shocking as maybe some might think it would be. You know, just just judging by based on of of what the world has been through, what they have been through, and and what is needed for survival. Yeah, 
Yeah. Kill or be killed. Completely agree here. You know, it's definitely one of those times where, you know, yeah, like you said, you're not surprised, but you're like, oh, damn, you know, she's got what it takes for sure. And um, unfortunately, though, you know, again, sort of moving quickly here through the story is that she is captured by David at the end of it. And it's just like, fuck. Right. Like, of course she is, you know, and she, you know, she ends up like being wakes, you know, she wakes up, she's in like this cage or something, or um, I think it, it turns out it's like in some deep freezer somewhere. And David is like trying to play nice with her. And she's like, not fucking having it. I think even at one moment, he sort of makes a move on her which is like fucking weird, you know, cause he's like, Oh, I'm like alone and I'm an old creepy dude. And it's like fucking shit. Jesus Christ. Like God, this really <laughs> yeah, is the apocalypse. Exactly <laughs> yeah. It's exactly how it went down. Exactly. How's how I'm uh, <laughs> explaining it. And, but you know, but she, you know, Ellie isn't falling for that shit. And I think she even like breaks his finger or tries to bite it off. And you know, he hits her pretty, pretty bad. Um, But it is, it's pretty soon after that, that she's able to escape and she's in this town where David is sort of living and you know he tries chasing after her but it like the snowstorm starts and she's you know again she's making her way through these through this town I, you know she, I think she kills a few people on the way if I remember correctly I I, I, I don't right um, but eventually she makes her way into this restaurant that is sort of closed off and you know David ends up sort of ambushing her again and he, I believe he starts like a fire in the restaurant or something like that, uh, where basically, you know, like the restaurant starts to be on fire and you have to deal with them. But before we actually have to deal with David, we cut back to Joel and he is sort of, um, I guess, recovering in a way. Yeah, well, he kind of like wake up. He like wake. He's waking up. Yeah, in the cabin, right. You know, You're like right. From when we saw him, or the area that she led them away from. Like he's literally, like, <gasps> you know, he like comes to, mm-hmm. you know. So obviously, whatever antibiotic that she administered to him, kind of definitely worked. You know, started to take effect. Yeah, yeah. And so like, and at the same time, it's like kind of like a role reversal because you're like, when it cuts to that, you're like. Well, how long has he been sleeping? No for? shit. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah you definitely yeah, from there's some time. Uh, there's a, a kind of um, time paralysis, right? Where you're like, Jesus, mm-hmm. like, you know, how long has been the, like, did the, was this happening within a few hours? Like, what exactly is going on? Like, is you know, is Ellie still OK? You know, like, are we going to come, you know, upon Ellie and find that she's dead or something like that? It is this really emotional roller coaster ride, especially in this moment where you're going back and forth between the two so much because you, again, you, you know, you start off as Joel again and you sort of make your way down the same path that Ellie took, you know, except now the snowstorm is hit and the hunters are still around. David's men are still around and you have to kill your way, basically like brutally murder these people like along the way. And this, you know, and I want to reference one specific moment because this will come up again in the second game, which is really important. And you realize the kind of man that Joel is now, obviously there are moments within the game that, you know, that like, Oh fuck man, Joel must've done some fucked up shit in his life. You know, the, the, the things that he's been willing to do up until this point, like, you know, he's, I don't want to say he's not a nice guy, but like, you know, he's not a good guy, but we like him, you know, sure. because we can empathize and sympathize with him. Um, I mean, I think you're more of a trying to allude to, you know, the, kind of like the huge, the, the huge push for like the antihero. Yeah. And I don't mean like necessarily Joel as an antihero, but Joel, like Joel really does. 
he the capability like it's, yeah. it's what we know he's capable of is something that can easily be forgotten. for sure but it is certainly highlighted in this moment where he captures two of david's men to try and find out where ellie is and it's this scene right here that this is where where i'm going to reference again it when we do our our second episode here on the last of us part two where he's got one of them tied up in a chair right and He's just like, okay, I'm going to leave you there basically while I torture your buddy. And he's like, okay, I'm going to, I think, it, what does he do? Is like, he shoots him or breaks his legs or something, something fucked up. And he's tied up. He's like, okay, I want you, he pulls out a map. He's like, I want you to point out to me where they're keeping Ellie, you know? And so he puts like a knife in his mouth or something like that. And then is captured, uh, the captured guy's mouth. And he's like, okay, point it out to me. And he points it out. And right afterwards, he kills the guy who just showed him where, you know, where Ellie was on the map. And he, then he goes to the guy's buddy who's tied up in the chair. He's like, OK, I want you to show me now. I want you to show me where Ellie is on the map. And if it doesn't match up, then we're going to have problems. And, you know, mm -hmm. the guy, you know, he's he's obviously initially hesitant. And I think he shoots him in the knee. It's like, oh, Jesus, fuck. And. You know, eventually he he, look, he looks like he points out where Ellie is and, and it sort of cuts to uh, Joel again going off uh, into David's town within the snowstorm. But before we have this, I don't want to say a sweet reunion, but before before Ellie and Joel are brought together again, we are again cut back to Ellie where she is having to fight David in this restaurant. And this is definitely where you feel like Man, is the that is a terrifying boss? Oh God, battle. that is oh a God, terrifying it is. Boss yeah, battle. it's fucking scary because I mean, because David is creepy as all hell, as we've mentioned, <laughs> and you know he's sort of sneaking around these um, these restaurant booths, and I'm sure I'm sure you get terrified every time you uh, uh, watch that part, uh, Josh, <laughs> and it's um, <laughs> like oh God, like the worst customer in the world, um, and so you know he's sneaking around, and what's what's uh, it's interesting about this fight is that there's like shards of glass and and broken shit on the ground and if you step over over him you make noise and so he so david mm -hmm. can be alluded to where you're hiding out and so your key is to try and sneak up to david and try to take the keys basically to the restaurant to try and escape out the door and so you have to sneak up on him you try and yeah i think ellie does successfully get the keys but david I mean, he's a big fucking tall man, like, and Ellie is this 14-year-old, like, he can pretty much overpower, and he fucking... Well, I, I think there's kind of one thing we need to make clear here, though. I, I believe that, like, it, correct me if I'm wrong in the timeline here, but when she's captured, there's a, a scene where he's, like, talking to her, like, the Jessel, but she finds out that they're essentially cannibals. That's right. Yeah. I did forget to mention that. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there is okay. this point where uh, they, like he's cutting up like a person I'm pretty sure. And he's, you know, right, and yeah. he's like, Hey, do you want some food? She's like, is it, is it human? And he's like, Oh no, 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 don't worry. We want to feed, feed you that yet. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, and then even when you're playing as Joel going through that area, you get into the deep freeze that she was being held and you just see bodies hanging in this deep freeze. You're like, mm -hmm. Oh Jesus. Like these people are way worse uh, than we thought. And so there is that extra tension in that boss battle between David and Ellie. Cause it's like, Jesus Christ, like I'm going to be fucking eaten. If I, <laughs> if I lose to this 
And, but you know, when she tries to take the keys, like he quickly overpowers her. You're like, fuck, this isn't good. And I think it's eventually when she's knocked down, like, cause he has like this, uh, machete or some, some type of hatchet or something where he's trying to kill her. And she, you know, she's able to, to not overpower him, but she, to surprise him and grab his, you know, grab his weapon and, st- and actually is able to kill David. And this is, I, you know, I think I've admitted this before on this episode a few times and I, I have no problem saying it, but this is another big moment, big emotional moment that, that came up where definitely brought me to tears because Ellie is, you know, she's surviving. She's killing David. And because she is so, well, this is kind of like, let, let's be clear. This, the, the set the scene here. Sure. For those that don't please. Know, it's not just a killing. Yeah. Like for me, this is the first time that's, you know, oof, like you, you worried about, you're worried about her mental health, especially because oh, yeah. she is hacking, hacking his face with the machete mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't see his face. You just cut to yeah. her just, you know, losing it, absolutely you know, in in that moment just completely and and you see that it's not even just like a rage she's almost completely lost and all oh yeah it's just it's just do, going know, through the motion without actually being there you know right 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 that's kind of like what you see until we get to the moment that you're about right to so as she doing as she is you know beating a dead horse so to speak uh this is when joel is able to sort of meet back up with her uh, into the you know sort of burning restaurant and you know sort of grabs her he's like hey, hey it's okay and you know she's freaked out for a second she's like oh my god like is somebody else here but you know she realizes it's it's joel and you know there's the music is swelling and you know he he grabs her and he holds her and he's like hey it's okay it's okay like i'm here for you and you know he says he's like it's okay i'm i'm here baby girl and that right, right there because like that was one of the ways that he referred to Sarah, right? His daughter, his real Mm -hmm. daughter. And like, this is the moment Ellie is now his daughter. Like she just is like effectively his daughter. Uh, and whether or not she feels it is, is, uh, you know, certainly another thing, but Joel, he's like, I would do anything for this girl. Absolutely. Anything. And which it, it definitely sets the stage for the, for the last little half of the game, which is, which is important. But, you know, it fades to, you know, the, like the music subsides and it's all, it's all um, muted. You know, you just hear them sort of rocking or see them rocking in each other's arms because of how intensive a moment that was. And, you know, I, I do want to throw it over to you to, to get a reaction, you know, uh, to this moment. But I, I mean, this was like, fuck, I, it was, this was a really heavy moment for me. It was difficult for me the first time I played it, you know, in 2013. This is even be way before I was a parent. Um, and it's still difficult for me now watching it, not just because like I'm sour about it, but because it is so like, so emotionally gripping. And I can imagine it's one of those things, especially you, Josh, as an actor, I'm sure you've done emotional scenes before on the stage where you, you have to buy into it a little bit, right? Like you must, you must sure. feel something very similar to what these actual characters are feeling. Am, am I wrong there? No, I, no. What we call it in in the acting world is it, it, it's essentially it's you learn how to boil down experiences to the root cause and the root emotion that inspires that experience. Because 
you know, there's characters that you're going to play that you, you're never really possibly going to have an actual, you know, empathy towards or an actual understanding of the interpretation of their experience. But what you can do is you can narrow that down to to the experience of, of love, want, you know, and, and of, of compassion and and the ability to do anything for this mm-hmm. person. You know, regardless of if it's if it's the person that you love and romantically or if it's the person that you love you know, within your family or if it's your child, you know, these are all rude emotions of, of that connection. And I think, again, it's about raising the stakes. Yeah. So with the writing, it's it's brilliant having this boss battle, like this boss battle of this scary, you know, man who's looking to eat you and and <laughs> right. like you know there's fire going on and like you're and then like when you're hacking him you like you just you're just lost and when, and when Joel shows up and just holds her and like you have that you know like you said like baby girl when he says that it's like you you in the moment like there there's a, like a sense of relief in the bond that they've been forging you know we've seen it broke apart we've seen it slowly stitched back together and i feel like you know in the metaphor of like stitching a rip you know, in the rip that they built with with her, Ellie finding out that Joel's not going to take her, and how they're starting to build that, this is where you feel that somebody had pulled that string taut, and now you see it whole again. Yeah. You know, and you feel accomplished in that, especially from the heightened circumstances. And I feel like you had to you know crescendo to that in order to truly understand the the last little bit of For this sure. game. You know, and and what we're about to get into, and I think we should get into that because we're we're pushing over two and a half hours, and I want to uh, bless bless our listeners because I know they're. You mean you don't want to go another two and a half hours? Uh, (laughs) Don't worry, we'll 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 save the the four hour episode till world. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, we're we're gonna beat out Joe Rogan in our Last of Us Part Two episode where we go seven hours. Um, so (laughs) that's a joke. Um, so. Yeah, it does. So after after this moment in the in the restaurant, it cuts to spring, and is what Joel and Ellie have done is they spring a twenty thirty four by this point too. Right? Yeah, no, not uh, not twenty twenty one. Although it'll probably be a similar <laughs> uh, similar feeling. Um, yeah. So they cut to yeah twenty thirty four in spring, and they're in Salt Lake City, and the reason why they're there is because when they went to the University of Eastern Colorado earlier in the fall, it's a detail that we neglected to. Uh, to bring up, but you know, we can talk about it here is that even though that the fireflies had left the university there, they did make mention in their audio recordings, like, Hey, we're going to try and flee to Salt Lake city uh, because it's right. just a better spot for us or something. I don't remember exactly their, their motivation for doing so, but you know, they're basically, they moved into uh, St. Mary's hospital. It looks like, I don't know whether or not mm-hmm. it's a real hospital or not, but it's in Salt Lake city. And that's where the fireflies are supposed to be. So, you know, after all that emotional roller coastering, uh, Joel has, I don't want to say he's turned over a new leaf, but he's definitely more loose with Ellie. All of the, mm. all of the, you know, basically survival tension that, that has been kind of going back and forth between him, especially more heavily on Joel's side. He's like, Hey, look, you know, I've accepted you as my daughter. So I'm going to talk to you like my daughter, you know, which it is strange. His walls finally came down. Yeah, His walls exactly. Yeah, finally came Com- down. yeah like, completely fallen down. You know, he talks to her about like wanting to teach her guitar. You know, he's like, I'm, 
I am completely comfortable around you and I'm going to be that way. And it's almost, it's funny because it's almost a little bit awkward, which is like something you don't expect because you're like, well, okay, they've been through so much. Like he's going to be saying this stuff and, and Ellie doesn't seem as receptive to it initially, which is interesting. And I think it's because there is still some unspokenness between them about their relationship because they really haven't, I mean, you know, it's the apocalypse for God's sake. They haven't really talking about their feelings <laughs> and, True. uh, you know, so she's, she's, she, there's this hesitance, uh, hesitancy that I sense is, is especially in Ellie, but I think it's relieved in this moment as they're moving through the city and there's a, you know, I don't know if if you wanted to actually, I think I will turn it over to you, Josh, because there, there's a moment when they see something in the city that really brings out. Um, I think it, I think it opens up Ellie a little bit more and to realize that, that she, that one, she can trust Joel. And then also, um, you know, it's, it's a, it shows a bit of a vulnerability and shows that she is still a bit of a child maybe. And that, they can have that parental bond. So I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. And, and why don't you, I mean, aside from anything else that you might want to say, why don't you tell us what, what Ellie and Joel stumble upon in the Salt Lake city? Okay. I don't know why you're going to throw that on me because like, I feel like you, even in the notes and off mic, you're the one that was like gushing about the scene. I mean, I don't even think I put it in my notes. So instead of making, oh, instead, of, well, yeah, so instead of making me explain it, okay, why don't well, you I tell guess... our listeners what it is that you're, you're talking about pawning it off on okay. me? Okay. Well, well, fine, Josh, Jesus Christ. I thought you wanted to be a little bit more engaged, but, <laughs> but fine. No, so it's, it's what they do. It's, it's a really, it's a really sweet moment. Actually, there is this, uh, Ellie sees something and, and it's sort of off the, it's off screen. So you as Joel, you're like, what the fuck is she, she, what is she talking about? And she sort of runs off and you're like, okay, like we just got out of a huge, like survivor moment. You're just going to ditch me. And it turns out is what she finds is that there are giraffes running through the streets. And it's like, oh, well, that's a, that's interesting. Like they must've escaped from the, the local zoo or something like that. And they, get up to them and they realize like the, the, the giraffes are like eating some from some of the plants that have been overgrown and they get actually up really close to a giraffe and are able to pet it. It was a pretty cool scene. In fact, you know, this fun fact here, I remember feeding a giraffe at the Oregon zoo last year. Like we, we make a, uh, uh, it's sort of a family tradition now. Every every year of my son's birthday, we take him to the Oregon Zoo, just, and he's fucking excited about it all every goddamn time. Anyway, last year we fed uh, a giraffe, and their tongues are surprisingly dry and rough. Just FYI, so everybody knows, giraffe tongues. Well, this are makes a lot more sense because when um, you were like super <laughs> adamant about explaining this giraffe scene, I guess like call me as a, a cynical person, but like I didn't really find any significance in that scene. However, I will I really? will give Ian credit, like you know, describing the elements of of connecting Ellie's childhood, you know, and understanding that she's still a kid mm -hmm. and having this glimpse yeah. of what, you know, like, cause like a kid petting an, an animal they don't know or can't see. Like, I get that. It's, it's a small glimpse of the past. It's a small glimpse of her own, you know, childhood and what she's missed and, and all the things that she's gone through. But I guess for me, like, I'm like, we're too far into this. I watched her hack to do to life to death with the machete. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, that's the thing, though, Josh. That's why I think our perspectives are so 
you know, the, our different perspectives are so interesting here is because you are coming into this game, obviously cold, sure. you know, not knowing where all the story elements were going to go. And with your theater background, you had some really interesting insight into the, you know, into the shape of human emotions to come in these type of situations and environments. And me, I'm coming to this. I've played this game through all the way at least six or seven times, quite a few sure. times. Um, and I'm also coming at this through the perspective of, of a parent, right? right? And so that's how our perspectives are going to be different here. And the reason why I think this, uh, you know, the scene with the elephants is so interesting or elephants with the, with the giraffes is so interesting is that, you know, after they, after they, you know, have their little bonding moment with, with one of the giraffes, they go up to this little balcony and they sort of watch the giraffes leave the area. You realize that even though we had this moment of like sort of childlike innocence with Ellie, you're right, Josh, Ellie has been through some shit and she understands things that a 14 year old probably wouldn't understand. She's probably getting close to 15 now, but you know, like you, you know, your normal everyday 14 year old doesn't go through the apocalypse. Right. So they're not going to be suited psychologically to deal with some of these tough decisions. I mean, even, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, even if the apocalypse did happen, nobody's suited for that. That's developed in (laughs) the, that's it's very true. It's very true, Josh. Yeah, Yeah, you're absolutely right. But yeah, yeah. I think hopefully our audience has figured that out. Um, but they but they do have this close moment where Joel I think Joel shows some worry here because he has bonded with Ellie in such a close way that he doesn't want to lose her. And he obviously sees some risk in taking her to the Fireflies. And he tells her, you know, where we're they're having this moment where they're watching the giraffe sort of like, you know, go off into the horizon. Uh, in the city here in Salt Lake city. And he's like, you know, we could just fucking turn back now and like, fuck this. Like we could just go to Jackson, call the whole thing off and just live together in peace and just try to start our lives together. And I think for a moment, Ellie like really considers that as a viable option because again, you know, she's a child. She wants to live a normal life. I mean, her whole entire journey has her sort of being nostalgic for a life that she never had right any kind of little moment that she has to experience the past she wants to fucking really experience that you know whether it's at the record store or at the comic book store any any again any little moment with the giraffe especially you know she wants to know what it's like to be a kid without all these sort of worries of survival and yet she says it's like no we fucking we journeyed across america like literally they went from fucking boston to salt lake city that's God, I mean, how far is that? That's like, what, 4,000 miles? Something like that? You know, part of it on car, part of it on foot, and part of it on horse. Back while dealing with infected and with enemy, you know, hunters and people just really just wanting them fucking dead. And she's, you know, she says, it's like, no, like, we're not just going to turn back. Like, all that can't be for nothing. You know, like, we're going to go through with this and we're going to get to the hospital. And, you know, Joel is like, okay, you know, like, this is basically what my 
virtual daughter once. Yeah, and I guess I guess and maybe so, for me though, maybe because it's been spoiled so many times. But I, I I've consumed so much content at this point. Any time there's a character that goes, we can just leave now and leave all this behind. It never, <laughs> n- nobody ever takes that deal. Yeah. Like it's never, never no, what's done. And I think yeah, you, it's never taken. And I, I, I admire your description of her always wanting it to be like the past. But I think in that moment, like it's, it's more of her realization that like there in that offer, there's, there's no past. He's talking about a future that doesn't exist. Right. He's talking about a future that doesn't exist. Mm hmm. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's sort of this, not a pipe dream, but it's this kind of, it's a fantasy a little bit. This is like, you know, we, no matter, no matter what we do, like there's never going to be some perfect. And it's also some very clever, you know, it's also some very clever foreshadowing I say too. So just to the, yeah, the idea of like, you know, maybe there's an intuition or a feeling that, that Joel may have had, you know, especially in this moment of like having that happen to be like, you know, let's just go you know, you and me, you know, it's, it's definitely like when I heard that for me, knowing storytelling, I'm like, Oh, some shit's about to go down. Like, you know, like, and, and, and it does. And it definitely does. And so, you know, after they, after they share this moment, you know, they, they work their way through the city a little bit. They do have a few more touching moments, you know, uh, Ellie, Ellie took the, we didn't talk about this, uh, earlier in the fall time, but, um, Joel or Tommy rather Tommy and Maria had an old picture of Joel and his daughter Sarah together when it was before the apocalypse and he's like Joel do you like want this picture to remind you of your daughter he's like no no I don't want that you know it's like it's it's my old life I don't want anything to do with that Um, but after Ellie and him had had this bonding moment bonding moment you realize that Ellie has actually stolen that photo and gives it back to him She's like, I think you need this now more than ever. And, you know, he's obviously still sore about it. And he's like, oh, fuck. Like, you know, I've, I've accepted. It's almost like a guilt trip. You know, I know she's Ellie isn't intending this, but, you know, it's like, fuck, I just accepted you as my daughter. And now you're showing me a picture of my That's real daughter. That's interesting that you interpreted that way because I did not see that scene that way. I, I felt it as. Really? Yeah, I felt it as. I felt it as Joel letting his guard down and letting Ellie in and feeling that type of love again you know, realized that like when he take like he takes it, puts his pocket and he says, I can't run from my past. Like he's done running, you know, he's done, he's found a sense of, 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 of peace or a new sense of meaning to where maybe he's able to quit running from his past and accept and interpret it as what it is. So I found that as a, as a bridge of moving forward, I found that as like, we've, we've learned that they're building that father daughter, uh, dynamic when they had their spat before he decided to take her, we've saw their connection you know, and solidifying that bond when, you know, she, when Joel shows in and, and, and stop or, and holds her after killing whatever the creepy dude's name was, Dave, I think. Um, yeah. And then this moment here is essentially the final kind of like trifecta or the, or the, or the ribbon on top of it is, is the lastly is accepting his past of the daughter he no longer has to pave way to the, the new daughter that he's allowed himself to feel to have. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good interpretation of it. I mean, because, you know, the, I guess the only reason why I said, you know, my little point before is that it is a really, it's a tender moment, you know, for, for Joel, right? Because I think he even lets out like a, 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 a gap, not a gasp, but like a sigh mm-hmm. of maybe relief where it's just like, whoo, 
gosh, like that's, that's heavy. Like after all the shit that we've been together now, I'm uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm having my memory refreshed of, of my old life and my daughter. And, and after I've, uh, like you said, let his wall walls down and it's like, Oh gosh, like I actually have to deal with this. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's a type of a, you know, but let's do this. Though. Let, let's, get this last, let's get to this last little bit because yeah. we are pushing the three hour mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, our audience boy, yeah. I mean, if you're making it all this way, like we're, Bravo, we're proud of thank you. you for and and I hope that you all, yeah. all three of you, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and that's including ian and myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like our one patron he like you know loves this absolutely show so but let's get to this last point yeah. we, we we really gotta yeah. bring this home for sure yeah let's bring it home um so they move through the rest of the city and they have to they get into like this underground tunnel that's like flooded uh through like one of the rivers there and they end up having like this accident where uh, they, they fall in through like a bus that gets, they get, Joel gets trapped in there and Ellie, of course, like not being able to swim. She's like, Oh, I'm going to fucking save Joel, <laughs> even though like he's stuck in the water and it ends up being obviously a bad decision. And Joel, um, has to rescue Ellie because Ellie seems like she's drowning in this like raging river, basically uh, in this underground tunnel. And, you know, she finally gets out or well, he gets out and he, and he tries doing CPR on her but as he's doing that these soldiers come and knock him out while he's trying to do cpr and it's like holy fuck like jesus christ like it's just another moment you're like is she gonna live like they've got all this way they're finally here and is she she's gonna fucking die right here and you think it might be the last that you see of ellie but joel wakes up and he's on this uh, uh he's on this like hospital bed and it turns out like he's at saint mary's and he is greeted at his bedside by none other uh, than Marlene, mm-hmm. who is the leader of the Fireflies. They're like, okay, who we've talked about, like, like you know, when I referenced the comic in the beginning and the and the prequel stuff, mm-hmm. and yeah, um, yeah, and she was at the beginning of the game as correct. well because she again, in case our listeners have forgotten what um, seven days worth of a podcast is like, we you know we talked about her in the beginning of the game as her setting uh joel and ellie off on this journey to get her you know to the fireflies later on to save humanity and she's there beside him and she's like hey joel wow i'm surprised you made it basically he's like whoa surprised to see you like well okay well i don't i don't really care to talk to you like i want to see ellie right now to make sure she's safe and marlene's just like oh you know don't worry she's just being prepped for surgery is all it's like well okay, like, can you explain to me what the, you know, what the fuck is going on? Like, I want to see Ellie. She's like, no, no, no. Like we're, you know, we, we realize that we can make a vaccine through Ellie, but we just have to go in and cut out the cordyceps in order to, to make a vaccine basically. And Joel realizes like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, I mean, you can't just do that. Like the, the cordyceps fungus that is causing these infections, it grows all over the brain. And so uh, the surgery would actually, kill ellie if you know if they went forward with it and marlene she's like no this is what uh ellie would want i promised her mother i would do this for her basically keep care of her in order to uh make sure that she's safe it's kind of like um i don't know like even as a player i'm like i don't think i like this well she takes the argument that like you know she's eventually going to die you know like ellie like basically saying that like these are crazy times and there's so much going on that like 
the odds of her dying are very high. So right. why don't why she might as well die for a right cause? Right, right. Why like she yeah. might as well die now to save from humanity than die in a year from now and save nothing. You know, as right. essentially and the it's argument. Just like Jesus Christ, like that's a really callous way to look at it. And I mean, I'm I'm callous, and that's fucked up. <laughs> you know, no, it's a simple so utilitarianism, it's... is what it is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know. It makes me curious, like, why you're so for utilitarianism, Josh. Um, anyway, it's it's one of those moments where you're like, well, fuck you, Marlene. Like, uh, I, I don't want Ellie to be any part of this. But Marlene, she's like, no, I'm not having any anything of this. Like, you did your job. Like, I hired you to do a job. You can get the fuck out of here. And so she orders one of her guards, basically. She's like, you get him out of here. And if he if he tries anything, just fucking kill him. It's like, well, okay, well, I'm glad that like our entire relationship was just boiled down to a simple transaction. And it's like, well, fuck. And so as Joel is being escorted out, you know, he, you know, he's being harassed by this guard. I think we'll, he we'll acknowledge that Joel, like Joel has now found himself in the center of the trolley problem. <laughs> 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 right yeah now he knows what it's like uh for us to be in the middle of it Absolutely. um <laughs> so he's like uh you know he's pr- he he is essentially a deontologist he's like no i'm not gonna let you know any anybody die you know for the sake of of humanity and so you know this after this guard is sort of bullying him to get out of here he's like you know fuck this like i don't have time for this i'm gonna go save ellie so he kills this fucking guard and obviously everybody is sort of alerted, you know, to, to Joel, uh, trying to, you know, kill all them basically. Yeah. Uh, he absolutely brutally makes his way through like wave after wave. Of he goes on a rampage. He goes on a rampage. Let's be absolute clear. rampage. And this is one of mo- one of these moments. I think I described this earlier on in the episode before the break, where I was talking about the, um, the hotel scene when they're in Philadelphia and I mean, like he gets to this point where you're killing, you're killing these fireflies. And like, sometimes you like got to go in there and fucking like, cause I personally, you know, this is not bragging, but I, I play on the survivor difficulty in this game. And it is the most, it's the most difficult. Uh, it is the most challenging difficulty level rather. And you run out of ammo pretty quickly if you're not conservative with, with your shooting. And so sometimes you just have to rely on your fists in beating people and to death, <laughs> just in case I wasn't clear. And after all of this time of being, you know, riding along this journey with Ellie, like you are feeling what Joel is feeling. Like I have to save this girl no matter what. And so like when I'm beating, you know, I say I, but as Joel is beating these people, I am right there along with him, gritting my teeth. I'm just like getting into it. Like I want these fucking people dead. Yeah, but you know what's interesting? And, and I, I don't mean to push back on this, but I, I have a friend. No, it's fine. I have a friend who is a you know who owns a PlayStation, and he has just completed the first game and just started the second game. You know, oh really? He's now for the first okay. time, he's now playing through this. And so I had asked him. I got the opportunity to ask him. I said, "What did you think of the end? You know, of the of the first game." And his response, without skipping a beat, was Joel was selfish. Really? Yes. Whoa. So he legitimately okay. had the, basically the viewpoint of, of even though he played through that, 
he felt that Joel was wrong. And I huh. found that completely fascinating with yeah. you know, with the contrast of how you view, you know, the that that rampage that For you're sure. taking to get to the end, you know. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'll just say when when we go off mic, I'm gonna I'm gonna question you about who this person is because I'm really interested um, to flesh that out a little bit more because I do think that this ju- this game really goes out of its way to make you completely sympathize with Joel's actions, regardless of whether or not they're right or wrong. I think you can certainly rationalize the decisions that he's made, you know, like, and whether or not you think that he's selfish or that he was in the right, you know, because he's like acting as a you know essentially a parent. Um, so yeah, that, that'd be interesting to flesh out. I, I'm, I'm curious to, to see, um, what this person is, is, is thinking there, but as, as we're moving through these wave of these waves of, of firefly soldiers, you do eventually arrive at the operating room where Ellie is being prepped for surgery. In fact, like, I think they're just about to start surgery and start to cut open her head to try and get the cordyceps virus out or the cordyceps fungus out rather. And this is that, this is that moment where you're like, you don't really have a a choice, but it's like, it definitely weeds out. I don't want to say weeds out, but it, it, it informs the type of player a person is because you get in there and then, and there is a sort of lead surgeon in the OR who tries to stop you. You know, he pulls like a scalpel out who this person will become definitely important when we talk about the second game, but he pulls out a scalpel. He's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking stop you. Even if it means my life, obviously like a little tiny scalpel, isn't going to do much when it comes to Joel. I mean, he's completely armed to the fucking teeth at this point. He's, you know, he's picked up quite a bit of weapons. He's a formidable character to deal with. And so he, I mean, he fucking murders this doctor like in cold blood. And there are two other doctors in the room it's 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 funny. I don't know, Josh, in the in the uh, in the game play walkthrough that you were watching what the what the players did. And, and I'd actually we would be curious the friend that you're referring to and what they did in the situation. But the two other doctors in the room, you can actually choose to spare if you want. Um, I kill them every time. <laughs> I'm sure you're not surprised by this. Not at all. Um, they got ganked. Yeah, but they got ganked. And, and OK, the version okay. that I watched. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That, that makes sense. But yeah, you can absolutely fucking murder the shit out of them. Um, and it's then where you're like, okay, like I've got to get Ellie, you know, I, but Joel has to get Ellie out of there. And you know, like there are other fireflies coming in. Like they know exactly where it is. Right. Because like, that's where, you know, that's where all the action is happening. So he gets Ellie out of there and tries to make his way through. He's like weaving his way through, uh, the hospital through the uh, pediatric center of the hospital. And it actually really, I'm sort of just thinking about this now. I, I I don't think I've actually ever thought about this in this way before, but it mimics the opening of the game where, you know, after, uh, after you play as Sarah in the beginning and there's the car crash and as Joel, you have to pick Sarah up uh, in the arms, you know, in your, in your arms rather. And you're trying to weave your way through the town and try to escape and survive similarly you're doing this with ellie while she's still unconscious because she was like you know put under for surgery you've got her in your arms and you're sort of running and weaving through these corridors in the hospital to try and escape and it is sort of a beautiful parallel but eventually you make it to um you make it to this hospital parking garage in a working elevator because they've they've got power in, in this hospital and you get down in there 
And lo and behold, who is waiting for you? It's Marlene. And I know you were sort of, you were uh, alluding to this before, but Marlene really reiterates um, pretty hard here that like, look, you know, if you, if you take, if you take Ellie out of here, I mean, she's going to be fucking, I mean, she's pretty graphic actually. She's like, she's going to be raped, you know, before she's, you know, found and killed. Like it's not going to be a good place for her. And Joel's is like, I don't, I don't fucking care. Right. Like I'm going to try and live my life with her. And she shoots or he shoots uh, Marlene. And after she begs to not be shot too. And that's also, yeah. You know, yeah. Right. Really difficult to, yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because there's, there's a little bit of a a few flashbacks here, which is interesting um, because, you know, he shoots her and uh, it sort of cuts to Ellie and Joel, like in a car, like they've been driving away and you're like, oh fuck. Like what's, you know, like, I guess they got out of the, got out of their own problem. Marlene is probably dead now. And Ellie wakes up. She's like, you know, what happened? He's like, and Joel lies to her. He's like, uh, you know, turns out um, there's a whole lot of other kids in there just like you. They're all immune, uh, but they've stopped looking for a cure because everything, you know, everything's all fine. <laughs> Even though I killed a whole bunch of people and I'm not going to tell you about it. Anyway, you know, so like, basically, basically just good. basically saying that there, there are, there are more people that are like you and they couldn't get a cure yeah. from those people. So like, right. It right. means that, but like, it's sort of, it's null and void. Yeah, it, exactly. And it sort of rubs the salt in the wound of everything that Ellie has been through. And that's, and it, and it definitely is really important. Again, we, we referenced the second game a few times here, but it really comes up in the second game a lot that like, this is sort of Ellie's purpose, like to, you know, she didn't know that she would necessarily be a sacrifice for the cause of, you know, curing you, saving humanity. But this was her purpose to save humanity. You know, I feel, because like, well, she's I feel like that's, that's why what... they're both the fireflies are wrong. And, you know, Joel is, is essentially wrong, depending on how you view it. Because oh, sure. Because the fireflies yeah. could have easily sat her down and said, this is what's going to happen this is how we get the vaccine and it, and it means that you die. You know, like what yeah. do you, what do you decide? Like this all could have been avoided by having them just be honest with Ellie before they put her under instead of yeah, waiting definitely. to tell Joel. And that was also probably their mistake. Now I'm not trying to justify Joel's actions or say that like the mistakes of one to not move or, or interact that causes the actions of another. Cause that's not right, right either. But at the same time, like acknowledge Ellie to- had some choice in the matter. Yeah, it wouldn't have led. It wouldn't have boiled down to to Joel feeling so tense in that moment that he had to save her. That led to the you know massacre of of all these people and and eventually saving her at the cost of curing this this detrimental <laughs> you know, yeah. apocalyptic causing fungus. Right. So you know, in this you know these last these last few bits here, you know. Joel and Ellie are, are driving away and, you know, he tells her this lie. Um, and Ellie, you know, she definitely, she, she literally gives him the cold shoulder. You know, she turns around. She's like, no, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. She, she obviously is coming off of some, you know, type of uh, anesthetics where she, you know, she's been drugged. And so she doesn't feel well, but you know, she's like a little salty, right? She's like, well, fuck, like we went all that way for nothing. You know, it's sort of like the conversation they had earlier after right. the after the giraffes. And it's here where we see this other little flashback. You know, it cuts to Joel in the parking garage again where, you know, he, he gets Ellie in this in this truck or car 
and like trying to get out of there. And Marlene, this is what you were talking about. Like she begs for us alive or begs for her life. She was like, come on, like, please just let me go. Don't worry. You know, I won't do anything. I won't say anything. And he's like, no, I, I'm sorry. I just don't believe you. Like, and, and you know, this is, again, this is one of those moments where it shows like the type of ruggedness and the survival elements that the Joel has been, you know, has had to have been through is like, no, you just come after her. Then he kills her, you know, in cold blood again, or not again, but you know, for sure. And, um, I guess this is where, you know, I, I do want to get your, your final thoughts here, but this is sort of where we're hitting the home run here. We're getting the end of the game and it's about fucking I guess time. Before, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know before, <laughs> before I do that, I, I, I guess I, I want to hear your thoughts on everything running up to this because I think it was a, I think it's an emotional, it's obviously an emotional journey. We've talked about that quite a bit, but before we talk about this last little ending, I want to get your perspective before we hear the last few lines that, that Joel and Ellie tell us, do you think that Joel is justified in his actions? Not only, you know, through all the stuff he did throughout the game and trying to protect Ellie and, you know, not betraying her, but like being hesitant in his actions and then coming back to her and then finally killing all those fireflies in order to save her. What, where do you think justice lies here? Do you think that he was right to do what he did or you sort of in your friend's perspective where you think, you know, he did what he had to do, but he was completely wrong. I'm really curious before we end here, um, what you think. About to that. be honest, and this might be a cop out, I just don't feel that I can fully compartmentalize that answer. You know, for me, a part of me felt, you know, obviously compelled with the way that Joel felt about Ellie and the fact that she didn't know she was going to die and the fact that he wanted to save her because he's already lost a daughter. Like, I get it. But I the, I wasn't joking when I said that they put Joel in a in the trolley problem where, you know, and and, and particularly more in particularly the trolley problem in reference to the issues with utilitarianism. And, you know, what I mean by that is like, you know, obviously it's on one train track, he has humanity. And then the other train track, he has to lose his newfound daughter. And how do you justify that? You know, does the, does that, can you do that? And so for me, like, it's difficult because on one aspect, I sympathize with the fireflies and I understand you know, like, what if Ellie doesn't want to do this or, or things like that or saving her the, you know, because if we talk about this, like there's there's a there's a sense of they can justify that as there's being a peace and death with the sense of there's no pain or suffering. You know, there might not be happiness or, you know, joy at the same time, but initially there's no pain or suffering and she would save humanity, you know, so I guess for me, I, I just I, I it's so fantastical that I would ever be put in a situation that my brain can even fathom. I can probably sit here and tell you what I think I may or may not do, but knowing my empathetic self and knowing like my love for another person and thinking emotionally, as opposed to rationally, as was we as humans do like, I do not fault Joe or why do I keep doing that? I keep doing that. So I do not fault Joel for making the decision that he made. However, like, I'm not as far as extreme as my, as my buddy, but you know, in the grand scheme of things and, and the stakes of what's going on for the plot, a like it is selfish. Sure. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the point. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I I think you're right. I mean, 
like why else you know why else would you do all that i mean you're mm-hmm. not you're certainly not asking for uh, joel isn't asking for some type of like justification you know like he's not you know there's first of all there's no like world government right so he's not being held accountable by some larger authority you know where he has to go into some jury and testimony where he's like oh you know i did what i had to do because uh i love this person irrationally and uh uh you know if you want to put me in jail fine you know but i i'm happy with what i did like that's not the case he has to deal with the consequences of act of his actions with the people in whom they are directly related right sure and maybe maybe this is our maybe this is our 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 best segue here into the last into the last scene of this game where we move into the epilogue so you know after after they get get out of salt lake city they do get back to jackson county where um uh tommy and and maria live you know in that little little settlement that they've got there their car is sort of broken down and and so they have to go the rest of the way on foot and you know, the whole, the whole way Joel doesn't seem chipper, but he certainly seems like, Hey, you know, like this is like all the shit that we just had to go over, go, go through. I have to just, you know, he has to compartmentalize it and just like deal with it. Like he's dealt with every other tragedy and, and major action in his life. Right. Within, you know, the confines of the, of the apocalypse. Whereas Ellie certainly is having, a much harder time dealing with this. I mean, she, again, like we said, you know, she's a young girl, like it's, it's children and adults deal with emotionally impactful uh, events a lot differently. And so, uh, you know, before they get to, before they get to Jackson, you know, they're sort of up on, on this ledge looking over the city and Joel's like, come on, let's go. And she's like, and Ellie's like, no, 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 let's, let's hold on a minute. I need to talk to you about, you know, things that have been happening because she's obviously having a hard time dealing with it. And she has this sort of survivor's guilt, you know, one might say after all the shit that she's gone through, sure. all of her friends that have died and yet she's still alive, you know, not by her own choice, you know, as we recall here. And, you know, she's, she's like, I want to make sure that what we did was justified. I want to make sure that everything we did was kosher more or less. And like, I need you, I need Joel, you know, she's telling Joel, she's like, I need you to tell me that everything that you told me was true and that. All right. So I know I was just talking about like uh, Joel and Ellie uh, having their last little bit. I will just say we had a bit of a technical problem in this last uh, few moments here. So, Obviously, Josh and I are we are moving into the what, you know, seven hour mark. Right. <laughs> right, Josh. And so, <laughs> well, let's be clear here. Let's be clear. Here. If I'm going to let listeners in on a little secret, the reason we had the reason we had some technical difficulties is because Ian talked for so long <laughs> that he literally killed my battery on my phone. <laughs> How we hear each other when we record our different sections. So yeah, here we sure. are back with a little bit of charge and we're going to power through this episode, guys. Right. Thank yeah. you for bearing with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, all 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 three of you. So, um as I was saying, <laughs> as I was saying, Joel Ellie really needs some reassurance about what mm-hmm. the 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 events that Joel and and her have been through. And so she confronts him. She's like 
you know, after all the shit, after the guilt that I've, I've felt, and after all the people we've seen die and it's us coming through this out of it together. And after all that shit in Salt Lake city, I need to hear from you, Joel, that what you're telling me is true about, you know, the fireflies and about all the kids that were there to help her, you know, or to, for that were immune. So she didn't have to, uh, go through surgery and, you know, she's, you know, she's asking him about, you know, how she should feel this. And, and Joel, you know, he's trying to rationalize. He's like, look, you know, even after all this shit, you know, that you go through in this world, you sort of tend to come to these conclusions that no matter what you, you try and find these little things to fight for, even in this fucked up world. And she's like, I, you know, I, I can't hear that right now. Again, I need you to tell me that what you said, you know, everything that you said was true. And he's, he hesitates for a moment and, you know, he's like, he just straights up lies to her. He's like, yep, yeah, it's all, mm-hmm. it's all true. And for a second, you know, you think you're like, can Ellie, can Ellie hand, you know, handle this? Like, is she gonna, is she gonna accept it? And I think because of their bond and, and this is the last thing I'll say, and I want your thoughts here, Josh, because of their bond, she just, she accepts it you know, at least, at least there. And then, and she says, okay. And we get a cut to black and, and, and it's the end of the game. Right. We made it. We made <laughs> so, it. We made it. So Josh, I, no, I, thank you. I, I, I want your thoughts here I, and then we can wrap it up. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So the, the thing that I'll say about the end of this game is that it, it, it there's two elements here. And again, like it, it's always flirted with this idea. Like we talked about this prior, like the, the element of, of violence, the purpose of violence and, and the purpose of survival and what we've all kind of gone down with in this rabbit hole of this, the storytelling of this game leading us to this moment. And I feel like with Ellie, there's this, you're right in the context of, or I agree with you in the context of the bond that they have built, that there's a sense of trust where even if she might be a little bit hesitant, that definitely does lead her to be more susceptible to believing what he's saying, even though he's lying. But at the end of the day, I think Joel is doing a classic parent move and being like, I'm going to protect a child and ignorance is bliss. You know, in this this content, this is going to be a burden that he's going to have to bear, not a burden that he wants her to bear. You know, so he chooses, I think he chooses to lie to because he believes his motivations for doing so believes that he's protecting her, you know, from learning this truth. And again, even more like double layered, he's doing it selfishly because he knows what he put at risk, you know, in order to save her. So you get this double sword of like, and that's why I think it's a beautiful moment when it cuts to black, because depending on the player, like one person can go, he just lies to save his ass one person can go, he lied to protect her. Or, you know, some person can go, holy shit, like this is a complex story with complex characters. And it's a little bit of both because that's what we do as humans, like, you know, in everyday life. So I think like in a lot of storytelling, in a lot of games, it's black and white. Here's the villain. Here's, you know, here's the good guy. You know, you're a hero and yeah. we know who, what role is what. I feel like in this world, you know, there's no real villains. There's just people that are trying to survive. And whether that has shifted them to psychotic breaks of being of, of cannibalism because they're so starving or rather that shifts them to protecting the people that they care about. You know, this is a prime example of Joel. It's not black. It's not white. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just all areas of gray and it's just human. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's certainly left ambiguous. And I think that is a great way 
to end the game and uh, to end this episode. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's about human. Well, stories. you're not going to give your thoughts. I mean, we've already we've already we've already gone this far. Just give your thoughts. And well, then I, 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 frankly, frankly, up. Josh, I, I think my my thoughts are I. I don't know if I would have done the same as Joel as far as as far as lying to Ellie. I, I don't know what I would do in that situation. Um, but I will say that I think the 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 events leading up to the end of the game and what he did, I do believe is justified because that's the kind of person I am. I would do everything I would in in my power for my son. And yeah. Well, let me ask. Let me let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Are you going to tell your son that Santa Claus is real? That Santa Claus is real or not real? Um, yeah. Are you going to let really, him leave in uh, Santa Claus? I, 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 I want to try him, try and cure him of the Santa Claus silliness as soon as possible. My wife doesn't agree with that because <laughs> she wants the magic to live a little bit. So, okay. Well then I, <laughs> Jesus crime you, you are the wrong person. That I was going to, I thought you were going to be like, oh yes, Josh. So of course my, my son's going to know Santa Claus. And I'd be like, then you have the capability of lying to your son. <laughs> right. Anyway, continue. And that was, <laughs> that was going to be my funny joke. Turns out my I'm funny not. Segue. Yeah. But here you are being like. Yeah, here you are being like, mm, I might ruin his <laughs> Christmas, but he's still going to get gifts from dad. Right. Yeah. I'm like, don't worry. You're still getting presents, but uh, oh, Santa God. Claus ain't real. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, yep. <laughs> Josh, I think uh, oh, without shit. further ado, we can we can end this motherfucker. Um, I will say again to to every listener who stuck with us to the end. Thank you uh, for bearing with us. Um, I guess I'll just say you know, look forward to obviously this episode will go live when it's going live and we'll probably do another MBS news uh, before we do the last of us part two. I will just say here, and this is, this is a PSA. I know Josh was super, super grace, uh, graceful to, you know, or gracious rather uh, to work through this episode with me. We did this episode pretty linearly. The second game is not like that. So we're definitely going to be taking uh, a different approach mm. when it comes to working through that. Hopefully it's not a, a five and a half hour long episode. I don't think it will be. Um, it's it's certainly a longer game, but that's because of the split perspectives that happens in that. Uh, and so and we'll give a spoiler warning be, before we start that episode. So don't worry about that here. Um, but yes, we're so we're definitely going to do that a little bit differently. So I just want to, you know, let our audience aware of that, you know, so they can prepare. And I will say too, um, in these, in these last of us episodes, uh, in order to, uh, save Josh's sanity, we're not going to be doing any segments of read, watch play because, uh, that would add another probably, uh, two to three hours onto these episodes. So, um, again, thank you for bearing with us. I, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, uh, I we put a lot of work into it, and um, we hope it pays off. So, Josh, uh, any any parting thoughts here? Do you want to you want to fucking shoot me yet, or what? Yeah, I got one parting thought. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> Deuces. Uh, everything that guy just says bullshit. Thank you.